it's not done for gain or an ulterior motive. It's done because people just want to be seen. And often I found that even when people were being mean, as I experienced way too much of, it's just because they didn't feel seen or heard. And the knee-jerk reaction from that often would lead to chaos. So yeah, I don't know. I'm I am an acknowledger of all humans. <laughs> Um, and yeah, a lover of the lost ones among us. That was Shanna Wan, and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. From wherever we are, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia, recognising their continuing connection to this land, its waterways, the stars in the skies since time immemorial. We pay our respects to the elders, knowledge holders and to all the generations of First Nations peoples who have nurtured their unceded sovereign lands for over 80,000 years and continue to do so today. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott, an 8th generational Australian regenerative farmer and in this podcast series I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host Charlie Arnott. Welcome back to the regenerative journey. And uh, before I bang in, bang in, bang on about uh, my guest this week, as I am in the habit of doing, I'm going to throw a few other things at you, a few reminders, a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of chitty chat. Um, first thing is, I wanted to just uh, drop in there again the webinar series we're putting on. It's called Your Regenerative Journey Farm Smarter, Not Harder Unleash the Benefits of Regenerative Farming for Economic Growth, Ecological Prosperity and farm business resilience in an uncertain future. Now, you can go to charlieunit.com.au, farm smarter, not harder. Uh, there's a little button there, and you get your tickets. <clears throat> now, you're hearing this a couple of weeks before, after, I should say, um, I'm recording this. So there's even less chance of tickets being left for the farm tour as part of that. Um, you've probably been listening to ad nauseum um, our little ads at the front of the, <clears throat> front of the show. Um, I suggest that um, if you want to get on board for the webinar series, early bird tickets are going to stop. I'm not sure when they're going to stop. Maybe by the time you even hear this, they may have already stopped. However, um, keen to get <clears throat> anyone here for the farm tour is only 50 tickets, and we've also started a couples thing as well, so um, a plus one. So um, get in and on board as soon as you can. Something that's popping up, and it sounds a bit left field, <clears throat> I read something about it the other day, was um, – Cashless society, it's such not a new topic. Um, things have been brewing for some time. But I did see um, something about CBA. Was it CBA uh, sort of making it, well, they're not actually making it hard or <clears throat> or just not letting people take cash out of the bank in a few branches. And I did was doing something similar too um, some time ago. And I think that's just crazy. I think it's I think it's nuts uh, that anyone thinks it's a good idea that we all go to a credit card system and there's no cash in the economy. Um, because as someone pointed out the other day, very succinctly, fifty dollars in cash that you pay someone with that fifty dollars, if that cash keeps on going through the the economy or the or the, the I mean, perfect perfect example is a rural community. <clears throat> that fifty dollars goes from me to the grocery store, from the grocery store to the the, the, the the garage, you know, the fuel man, and then it goes around and around. $50 as a cash thing does. It doesn't disappear. 
<clears throat> when you pay for something with a credit card, uh, which we're all you know doing and prone to do, I'm sure most of us are. Um, there's that surcharge. So in actual fact, <clears throat> it's costing that fifty dollars in essence doesn't retain its value, you know, as the system, as we, um, it actually costs us. And so that $50 in, in um, <clears throat> essentially, as it circulates through an economy through a credit card system, becomes less and less. <clears throat> and so we're not doing our best to support local communities. Um, I reckon bring the cash back. I'd suggest, you know, I'm not, not a doomsday by any means, but I'd suggest if, you know, it's probably not a bad idea to start using more cash. Keep some on your person <clears throat> at all times. And um, I know, you know, people are often surprised when you pull cash out and pay for something because they're so used to, to cards. But I think there's a, you know, there's a <clears throat> part of the population that are, are supportive of that whole idea. Um, and I think a lot of the population are pretty asleep to it all, unfortunately. But I think that, you know, where that, where's that heading? I don't know. I might have mentioned it before, actually, on, on previous episodes. But it's, it's worth being up, given the CBA thing I read the other day. I just think it's dangerous if we're all down to, you know, credit cards and no cash or even one credit card, some social credit scoring thing and, and bit of plastic and <clears throat> things are less and less in our control then, you know. I won't bang on about it because I think I already have, but just think about that for a minute, you know, turning up to the shops to buy your food and using your card, the only card you've got, and, um, <clears throat> and them saying, no, you can't buy that because you've, you know, Overdone your carbon emissions, or you haven't paid a fine, or something. Yeah, you know, all this interconnectedness is not necessarily a good thing. I don't think. There you go. There's a little rant for the morning. <clears throat> uh, webinar series you talked about. Biodynamic workshops are on. Uh, check out our events page on charlieart.com.au forward slash events for our coming upcoming biodynamics workshop. There's a mastermind course, of course, of course, of course, of course. Um, you can purchase. Uh, jump on our website to find that one as well. <clears throat> That's basically an online self self. Um, uh, self-managed, uh, jump on with a series of, of lessons of our introduction to biodynamics workshop with Hamish Mackay and my good self. And Hamish is a freak. He's just so good at that. Um, he's just a, he's amazing. His, his depth of knowledge and experience in the world of biodynamics. And that's probably enough from me about the preamble, with the preamble. Shanna Wan, what a star. I have kind of vicariously known Shanna for a long time. And when I say that, as in, you know, we sort of circulate in the same sort of groups, you know, <clears throat> both spent a lot of time in the country, going to country parties, um, all sorts of things, share very similar interests. <clears throat> and more recently, you know, we've reconnected and uh, through her, her journey, her somewhat regenerative journey of, um, of recovery, of healing, it was just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to sit down with her at her in a little church, a you know, family church. Built by now, I can't remember now. A, a, a grandfather, great great grandfather, maybe. Such a lovely place to be sitting in their home, chatting with um, Shannon about her her life. Which um, it was a long, it's a long interview, um, but it's just such a wonderful, um, compelling discussion. So honest, so courageous, so open and transparent. And she, I have to say, was brilliant at just maintaining the the energy. She's a very energetic woman, um, but I know she has. She has to be very mindful of um, her energy expenditure and who she spends time with and, you know, how she spends her time because she just does. And, you know, she's um, she's good at that. She's very, very sensible in terms of her, her self-care. This is a wonderful episode, um, an amazing interview with an incredible woman, Shanna Wan, is this episode of The Regenerative Journey, and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I did, sitting down with Shanna Wan for The Regenerative Journey. 
You're yeah. very professional. Yes. Well, you know what? I've caught you because we're already 10 minutes, 10 seconds in. <laughs> How's that? Oh, great. Hi, Charles. Shanawan, welcome to The Regenerative Journey. Hi, mate. And welcome to your little house, your church. Christine welcome to Christina. Christina. Isn't it so lovely? Can you tell us where we are and why we're here? And you told me the story, but I want to hear it again because it's, yeah. it's a lovely little... Little thing, because why I'm asking those questions is it sets a scene, the context of the conversation. Absolutely, it sort of helps kind of navigate to where you know you who you are. Yep, and also it's a bloody good story. Okay, so we are in Morse Creek, northwest New South Wales, which is between Narrabri and Gunnedah, and we are coming to you from a little bush church, which is known as you now know as Christina Cottage. Um, it was built by my husband's great grandfather for his wife in in 1957 as a memorial to the amazing Christina Campbell, yeah. and um, it was a working Presbyterian church for a long time. Then it was vacant for a little while, um, but essentially the family donated it to the church for their use way back in the day, and then it was sat vacant for a while, and then. Um, my father-in-law, Dougie, actually contacted him, contacted them to say, can we buy that and have it back in the family? And they said, well, how about we donate it back again? So it was um, – do you have – does it have to be deconsecrated or something? How, how does that work? A, that's a really great question and a couple of people Officially have asked it. I don't actually no. know. No. I don't actually know. All I know is that we get to walk down the aisle every day and have breakfast. What is up down the red, the red, <laughs> and, the, and a red carpet? And aisle. a red carpet. No, don't eat the so microphone good. biscuit. Can, uh, that, that is a door there. Yeah, cool. Because yeah. we came in the side door. Yeah. So this. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for anyone who's worried, it isn't a big dog. It's only a little little Jack Russell. That was biscuit letting it be known that she was impressed. <laughs> so cute. But that's what they do. They chew. Yeah, she was trying to eat chew, your microphone, chew, chew, chew. little bugger. That's enough out of you. Anyway, so um, so the church was then donated back to the family and then it was turned into a rental um, for a couple of years and then uh, just bef- just after COVID, Timbo and I ended up here and it was interesting at the time. We came here as a bit of a last resort to get away from a toxic situation and in the end it was, would you, would you dare say, God-given it was just beautiful. It was the perfect thing. I didn't think it would be. I was very frightened of being isolated, actually. Um, and then I got here and I walked around three times and went, oh, we're not going anywhere, are we, Tim? It feels so good. Isn't and we're, we're looking out for yeah. those who are watching. You won't see us. You won't see the view. You'll see the, the door, the bathroom door behind us <laughs> and the cupboards. But we're looking at a beautiful little scene, going, uh, just looking at to horse, was it Horse Something Creek? Horse, uh, horse Arm Creek. Horse Arm Creek. There's a couple of beautiful trees there, gums, grass, and some acacias or something over there as well. There's a couple of old silky oaks. Silky oaks. And it's I beautiful. was going to tell you that's where I put Dad's ashes, but I won't talk about that because I'll cry. Mm. <laughs> silky oaks. Oh, well, gosh. he's here. Hey. He's here. Yeah. Why wouldn't he be? I don't, yeah, because I haven't had the courage yet. Mm. I only lost him in January. Um, yeah, so gums, look at me moving on before I start crying, before we've <laughs> even begun podcasting. My God. That might be a record. Oh, <laughs> Three minutes 45. Tell you. I know. I can't say dad yet. I can't do it. But um, yeah, yeah, look, this, this little creek and this little block is magical. Um, what you can't see is there's a gorgeous little. Um, crystal clear babbling brook mm. 
and um, it's just beautiful. We've, we're so blessed to live here, honestly. Well, it is yeah. a love. It's such a beautiful spot. It's got such a lovely vibe. Mm. You've shown me the keg out the back, <laughs> and the significance of it being called the keg will probably be clear later on. Yeah. But it's we a, have it's keg a sessions at my keg house. Session. <laughs> <laughs> I invite people. And um, it's, it's a little sauna. It's a little, little cedar sauna that is literally the size of one of those big, like a, like a massive like a giant, wine a giant wooden barrel keg. keg. It's it awesome. Is. And an infrared sauna that lives at the back of the church is what we're talking about, folks. I don't have keg sessions. <laughs> but it is very good for one's health. We, we really we, good. And, um, and you're looking really healthy. Do you reckon? Yeah, totally. I think it's because I've put on weight and it irons out the wrinkles. No. Happy days. <laughs> Never mind Botox. Just go through menopause. <laughs> Stack on a few well, you, well, you've got the you've got the infrared, you've got the plunge pull at the back, you've got it all going. I noticed one of those flippy chair things out in the garage. You know the ones yes, you sit in and you turn upside yes, down? Yes, a back stretcher. Back stretcher. Yeah, all mate. On. All of the body parts hurt now, so there's maximum. I actually posted last night on Instagram. Um, about the keg, actually. Mm. I shared about the Were you in it? Were you in it? No, no, I used a male model. I didn't think anyone deserved to see me Tim. sitting in there. Well, no, he wasn't home. <laughs> I used a stock image. Just, oh, I was going to say, did Tim know you had a male model? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know what he doesn't know. No. no. And it's funny, mm. and I posted um, about how back in the day I used to spend all my money on booze and cigarettes and hangovers and lost mm. productivity, and now... I mean, it's a typical bloody story, really, isn't it, of a reformed human? You you come back from the brink of death and then you spend all your money on doing all of the things that are good for you. Mm. Um, investments. Investments It's not spending help. money, it's an investment. Do you know, mm. there's a health retreat I go to and um, I remember hearing are you, a, are you allowed to say which one? Yeah, I'm totally happy to say. Living Valley up at um, the Sunshine Coast. Okay. Bloody love them. I've been going for a long, long time. And I remember hearing a quote that isn't it ironic that we spend all of our health trying to get our wealth when we're young and then we spend all of our wealth trying to get our health when we're older. Like so that. I'm, that's, I'm, in the, I'm in that second category. But you know what? Given I was nearly dead eight years ago, I think I must be doing something a little bit right. Well, you know, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's, such, it's so true, isn't it? That, and, you know, um, it does often take a lifetime or half a lifetime mm. to kind of work that out, doesn't it? And and yes. without those trials and tribulations, and we all have them, you know, we all have different mm. versions of challenges, and you've certainly had yours that lead us to where we are now. Could yes, and I was thinking about that. The first time I met you, I was just a flipping full-blown party girl. Was that Cara? I think, I don't know, yes. I was, I was thinking about that the other day. I was down at Harden. Um, mm. Yeah, it's when I was working down that way. Was it a hard and um, pick your races? I reckon it was. Mm. I was grooming, had a pearl leather stud nearby. Yes. Yes. I was at the pearl leather the other day. Oh, really? Marvellous. <laughs> well, anyway, I was just a commoner. Oh, just... the, one, the one at Harden? Yes. Oh, the big one at Harden? Yes. Oh, wow, yeah. Yes. Was a delight. I was just a peasant. Shoveling, really? shoveling manure. Manure. Yes. Anyway, mm. I, yes, that feels like a whole different life. Wow. And um, that was a while ago. I'll save some of my innermost thoughts for not this podcast because I have a few scathing memories. Oh, really? We oh. won't say where it was. No, no. But just as in, you know, there's a few things about certain industries that culture. Are, yeah, 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 culture. Anyway, as a young bloody. Lost soul. I remember being down there and I was like, I think the first time I met you, I was in the batshit crazy place. Mm. Yeah. 
Anyway, isn't it funny? Meanwhile, another half a life goes by. I know. Look how well, well we are. I know that we've sort of come full circle because oh, yeah, um, grown up in professional. I know. Now. Look at the gear I've got. Hey? I'm like, really, this is an, this is this is an investment. <laughs> um, so tell me, um, we've touched on. We've touched on kind of this. I mean, what does it what does it mean for you now to be, I guess, settled here, looking at nature? You've got your hounds, your various. How many hounds? One, two, two three, blue heelers three, and one Jack Russell. Three, yeah, three Dolls. hounds. Um, how's that feel? Do you feel settled? Do you feel comfortable? Do you feel? Um, I don't know. Not that this is maybe your forever home. It is absolutely beautiful. But is it? Is it? It was it important for you to get back into the country? So you've got a view like that every day. Do you know? It's it's an amazing thing. When we got here, I remember saying to Tim, "This is the first time I have felt like I'm home since I was 11." Really? Yep. So, yes. Because that's when I had to go away to boarding school, and I reckon I've been a displaced person ever since to be honest. So this feels like home and this community, I don't know if Christina Cottage is our forever home. I think we have a little more expanding to do and a bit more to offer, but this community is our forever community. It's so lovely. Moores Creek rocks. It's so beautiful. So yeah, I feel like I'm home for the first time since I was a little person. Since you're 11. Mm. Was um, well, actually we won't jump to to, to, to boarding school just <laughs> no, yet. You'll make me cry again. <laughs> okay. Five minutes in, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm emotional and I've got menopause, so just go cautiously. Oh mate. well, can I again before I forget, which I, I trust I won't later on, but just to thank you for your time because because the last time I saw you was, um, I think it was it um, migrating. Yeah. In, in, in February last year. Yes. And so we were trying to coordinate things there and I had to sort of piss off the next day we and did. you had to go back to town. And so so we didn't, rudely we didn't. had other things on. I know. It was disgraceful. Unbelievable that you did not drop everything for me, Charlie. I know. Well, I nearly <gasps> did. I did, nearly you, did. Did you know what happened at that field day? Did, were no. you there at the night time thing when our – Hopped up. Oh yes, tell us that. Oh, oh yeah, let's tell us. Yeah, oh, we can. Out, no, 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 no. Say it. No, 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 no. There's no rules or regulations. Here. No, just yeah. Memories of that field day. I went in there, um, knowing that Stu was the manager um, at Wilmot, and um, and I'd said to him, "Can you point out is there a VIP here or someone I need to know or acknowledge?" Because my love language is acknowledging people who donate to the charity in lieu of a speaker fee for me, because that's how we operate. I don't. Pay myself. Yep. I, I asked for a donation to sober in the country as I yep. as a speaker, and he said, "Oh, that fellow in the front row, his name's um, Al." I went right. That bloke. Uh, that old mate there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I remember going up to Al and saying, "Thank you so so much for having me," and um, I just you know expressed my gratitude, which is always very sincere. Anyway, that night I did the talk and unbeknownst to me, those amazing humans had squirreled away a novelty check and they just, mm. out of absolutely nowhere, um, yeah, donated $25,000 to us out of nowhere. And, oh, anyway, speaking of emotional, <laughs> and I must have given um, Al about 13 different cuddles. I was completely <laughs> beside myself and just it was such a beautiful, um, unexpected act of generosity. Um, and I think that's when I started falling in love with regen community and people because I was a little bit 
green on that front myself but in the last year wow I have come to understand this community and I've fallen very hardly hardly you've hardly fallen no that's the opposite you've (laughs) fallen very (laughs) I have fallen hardly like (laughs) in love with the regen community it's unbelievable anyway there you go I want to talk about that Mm. I've got a little note there I want to get back to that come back to and the the, there's I guess a couple of things that your um, your your presentation or your 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 speech—it's probably not the right word. Your address um, that night was uh, was amazing, and it was very fitting that that happened after that. That Al and Co. Mm. And the other fun thing was the check was like one of those good old fashioned. Wasn't it? Wasn't it like a big yeah, cardboard, a, or like an enormous, the, as big as a, as big as a surfboard? Yeah, it's out the back shed. It's so yeah, cool. It's it was so like, cool. That's a check. It was a beautiful moment. Yeah. I was so, I was so touched by that. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, that was a good night. That was a cool night. So last time I saw you, so lots, lots has happened since then. But yeah. talking about lots has happened, let's take take us back to, um, you know, day one. You know, Shanna pops out of. Pops out of oh, somewhere. Like birth? Let's go. Can we go yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, we can go there. Kind of just set the scene where you were. Uh, you know those those formative years. Um, yep. Tell, tell us, tell us about that. So, babe, why? What's this? Is menopause? It does stuff to your brain. I'm gonna so get reference. Is that it. is that like um, brain tongue? Yep. Yeah. Brain okay. tongue emotions. There's probably some science around that. There's probably actually There's like synaptic so, stuff going. There is on there. so much when you Google. <laughs> Maybe lines, mate. Oh, Jim. mate, I can't even. It's like it's kidnapped my brain and I just. <laughs> anywho, so I arrived um, planet on planet Earth in 1974 um, and I was actually born in Zimbabwe, which a lot of people don't know. Um, yeah, so my whole family um, were seventh and eighth generation Zimbabweans and I was born there. And we came to Australia when I was six because Dad recognised that the country, which was then Rhodesia, was plummeting at a rapid rate of knots. And when a, when it was ultimately his decision to leave was when Mugabe got into power and he said, radio, that's enough now. So he packed up two toddlers and mum and we hit the shores of Australia and um, I think we had $200 and we landed in Moree in a caravan <laughs> um, and Dad had to rebuild his life from ground zero as a as a labourer. After being really a successful young man in his career in ag, he was he so was farming, amazing. farming, yeah, 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 potatoes, beef, cattle, um, bit of cropping. Um, he was he was headed places, but yeah, as you do when you land in a foreign country, fleeing impending you know civil war and God knows what else, you just get thrown straight to the bottom of the pile. Was there not? I guess there would have been pretty strict um, rules around well entry, but also exit. Like, don't be taking any money with you. Yeah, no, there was no money. There was like two hundred bucks. Apparently, was yeah. We had. I wrote this in Dad's eulogy the other day about how um, I remember our first vehicle was a secondhand lime green Valiant. (laughs) That's Um, cool. A little bomb. Yeah. No, I think I think our. Yeah, like, just, a, like a station wagon? Yeah, station wagon, sorry, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, and so we landed in Australia. Anyway, and so I began life in Australia um, at the age of six and, yeah, <clears throat> and fairly quickly Dad ascended through the ranks of Australian agriculture 
Um, and we ended up sort of hanging around northwestern New South Wales. But as is the as is the right of all bush kids, um, schooling was an issue, so I had to go away to boarding school when I was 11, hence the reference to that earlier. Were you on farm when yeah. you were up here? Yeah. yeah. So you were um, space, grass, sky, trees. I grew up like this. Yeah. This could have been home. Yeah. I grew up like a little bareback horse riding, mm. feral, unplugged, barefoot, filthy Kid, I loved it. I was such a free range feral kid. Loved it, loved it, loved were it. Were you far out of town? Like, were you literally yeah, the, the, an hour and a half from Moray? Yes. Which way? Um, to southwest, southwest near wow. Colorado Bright. Yeah. Mm. So yep. expansive. <clears throat> yeah, I, I grew up literally just, I literally grew up on the back of a horse bareback rescuing feral creatures because <laughs> I was a feral creature. <laughs> Kindred spirits scooping like each jungle, other up. Jungle book. Yeah, I was like, I was, I was the jungle girl, <laughs> which is kind of beautiful, actually. That's a real tip of the hat to how mum raised me. Mm. Um, in Africa, mum was exactly the same. And any injured anything was given a second chance at our, in, in under the care of mum. And she was phenomenal with animals. And so, and I grew up, we grew up with animals. Because of the danger, so we lived in a, um, we lived in Angola, which was a gateway for terrorists to come in to the country. Angola, sorry, excuse my ignorance. Oh, Angola, don't ask me to describe no, it. No, no, is it Angola? Was Angola a, like a province of Rhodesia, or was it a whole country? No, we had moved to. I will have to check that. That's embarrassing because we moved a few times. I actually would have to check that. All I know yeah, is that cool. when I wrote Dad's Ang- eulogy, yeah. We were in Angola and it was a gateway for terrorists to enter. And we had um, sandbags and double-fenced mine mm. anti-personnels that would explode on impact and all sorts of stuff. And mum slept with a gun under her pillow. There was a – us kids were raised with a escape box with holes in it built into the floorboards so that in the event of an attack and mum and dad's lives being threatened, they'd jam us in there and hope someone would find us – all of this sort of stuff. That was life. Can you believe that? Anyway, um, and because of the very high reality of terrorist threats on a daily basis, we had bull terriers for guard dogs. So I grew up with bull terriers in the house, on the bed, in the bar. Like, they were just there, our shadows, 24-7. So I was always going to love dogs all mm. my life long, which is why you've just entered the house <laughs> and you've had to... Flip and fight your way through dogs. Well, I smell like a dog because I've got dogs <laughs> at home, and uh, um, probably a good thing they might have torn me apart if I hadn't smelled like oh, a dog. Oh, exactly, they're vicious. They're <laughs> but so you know, cute. you know, so that love for animals has has been there since day one. I'm going to shut that fly screen. One moment. Which one? Oh, I hear. So the dog flaps wasn't. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah, cool. Flies. Anyway, yeah, so. Um, Growing up with animals was exactly how it was and that, that, that was a theme through all of my childhood. Um, yes, so being uh, taken away from that and sent to boarding school was not good. Had you been to the Big Smoke much before? Was it like, was it really like, oh, my God, what is this place? What happened in my life? Where yeah. is mum and dad? All that yep. sort of stuff. At yep. age 11, you were saying. So is that... Is that, is that- Sorry. <laughs> And now, now that we've shut the dog door, everyone's coming in. Come in, in, Hi, in, out, in, out, in, out. Sorry. So was that? Um, uh, that was a bit of a rude shock. Was it grade six or seven? You went seven. Uh, seven. 
He was yeah. a bloody rude shocker. No, 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 in uh, Toowoomba. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. All southwestern yep. Queensland kids and all yep. northwest New South Wales kids seem to go. Oh, well, not all, but a fair chunk go to Toowoomba. And you did your six years of secondary there. Yes, I you, did. You got through well. You 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 got through the to, to year twelve. And here comes another dog just on <laughs> cue. Swear to God, <laughs> that's now three. And in a minute they should biscuit. Start. And then yep. they go. Oh, I've got to go outside now. No, it's so fine. Biscuits. Yeah, so basically did um, all the way through to grade 12 um, at, uh, yeah, in Toowoomba. So, um, oh, sh- Were you happy to leave? I swear to God, it's because oh, I, yeah. I shut the door. Then there's the dog bowl. There's a lick. Yeah, now we're licking, oh, now we're on. drinking. Yeah. Uh, and out, here we go, listen. Oh, yeah, Flea's going to go and, out again. Uh, and think about it, thinking. And now Melly. And, and now listen. Wait up. There it is. Fair dinkum. <laughs> Don't work with dogs or children. No. <laughs> so then, um, happy to leave. I will shut you up. That is hilarious. Incredibly annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well, we either have the dogs in and out or the flies. No, so, no. which is worse? Like, Go on. And out that oh, one. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Charlie just doesn't want to do editing all day. No, that's all right. We love it. <clears throat> they really are parts of the members of the family. For those who are listening, still listening, and who have dogs, you'll totally get the pandemonium that sometimes happens when you've got dogs. Um, so happy to leave school, twelve or six oh, years. Mate, I yeah. was, I was Tough. oh god. You know, I, a few a few people and I have spoken about it and the impact that boarding school had on people, particularly in our generation. It's very mm. different now. It's very different. So there was there wasn't just on that one, which may sort of be part of what you're saying. That was it was it was no conversation with mum and dad. It was like okay, and tomorrow you're going to go to boarding school. Kind of, mm. yeah. That was the only option. Um, yeah, we were we were raised in that. Oh well, this is what's happening. So end of story. Um, and anyway, yeah. Look, and I was essentially a very good, very obedient kid. So off I went, and I mm. just um, I just did what we did. But uh, yeah, no, it was not a good was not a good time for me at all. I really struggled. Homesick. Oh, God, mm. terrible, terrible homesickness. And because I'd grown up such a free-range little feral, had no social skills. I had the social skills of a peanut. Mm. And when you land in an all-girls boarding school and you have no social skills or awareness or any understanding of the politics of young girls, let alone teenage girls, I mean, oh. I reckon it took me till I was 30 to be able to actually operate functionally with other women. I was just so traumatised <laughs> after boarding school. Um, yeah, it was it was dreadful. I did not go well. I did not go well. Um, so friends? Yeah, I had a few mates. Mm. I had a few mates. but Country people? Country friends? Yeah, no, I had a few day girl mates. Mm. Um, I was actually – I actually used to hang out with my brother's mates a bit because I was such a tomboy – but what I didn't know is that that made me a target because the other girls found that uncomfortable, even though they didn't understand That's I was playing footy. Yeah, I was playing footy and <clears throat> I, I literally was playing football and tackle and crash like I was a proper tomboy um, with all the cool boys. And so the cool girls so thought that maybe, was bad. So there was maybe a bit of, well, bit of envy, a bit of envy there. Allegedly. I don't know. It's... it's 
um, many, 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 many years after boarding school, a mate of mine sat me down and he said, you still don't get it, do you, Rollins? Which is my maiden name. And I went, get what? And he said, you were so you were so natural and so unaffected and so genuine. Um, you just were yourself. And everyone found that so endearing. That was, you know, all of us fellas, like we kind of protected you and looked after you. And he said, and there was a lot of envy. We could see it, but you never could because you never saw your own value. Isn't it funny? So politics, girls, bloody blah, 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 blah. And if I had just had enough social skill back then to understand that uh, you have to sometimes simply acknowledge other girls and other women and their place and their space, that's all you need. But I didn't have that basic skill. You know how kids now, kids go to, I mean, kids have better social lives now than I've had my whole frigging life. What the hell? Like those little guys have plonked into daycare and taught how to socialise and they're having better parties than I've ever had. They know how to do stuff, right? The time they're toddlers, they know. And I think all the way up until critical teenagers, I'd never been taught that skill because I was remotely based. So I don't think it was anyone's fault. I don't think. It's just one of those shitty things that I was just highly under equipped to be whatever I was supposed to be to survive an all-girls boarding school. So I was just, yeah, it didn't go well. Anyway, Did, that was that. Do you think you're, and I love that um, that you were the, the, the boys or that boy sort of um, acknowledged and identified to you your, mm. I guess, which are you know, part of your values or your, your personality of, um, you know, being endearing. Do you think, and, and just the way that all sort of rolled, mm. uh, do you think that was... And that not being a tomboy, but just kind of, kind of being comfortable in that in, in, with the boys because mm. that was just who you were, and you know, and maybe there was a bit of, well, those girls are a bit weird and a bit mature <laughs> and a bit kind of a bit gossipy or whatever it was. Yeah. But do you think did that sort of was that a, was that a good sort of foundation for later in life? Did that give you, I don't know, insight into different things? Did you did you continue to be kind of on the periphery of social situations? You know, outside of school, beyond school? It's a good question. To this day, to this day, whenever I'm in a social situation and when I see someone come in who looks even just the tiniest bit, not like they're fully present or or, or welcomed or, or they might be new or they might be new in town or maybe they're a little bit different, I just spot it and I pick it a thousand miles off and I just scoop them up and say, quick, get in here. And I tuck them under my wing. I'm, I'm such a rescuer of people. <laughs> so my, I think one of my greatest skills as an adult is I make people who don't feel part of the crowd feel part of the crowd. So I do for others what was never done for me, um, 100%. And, and I didn't realise that what a gift that was until I got older. Um, and, and I think also when you have to learn politics the hard way, so even now, as a fairly public figure, um, I'm still very, I'm still that same gregarious, outgrowing, outgoing. See, brain, there it goes again. That same gregarious, outgoing tomboy who says it like it is. I'm still a bit rough around the edges. I still am a bit of a bull at a gate, but I now have basic political understanding. And so, I'll give you an example. Right, if I enter a room today and I'm chatting to some person of importance and that person's wife is there or, or, or partner of any whatever, someone important to that human is nearby, 
I will stop what I'm doing and I will acknowledge that person and their place and their position and I will defer to them and let them know I see you, I see your position here and I acknowledge you and let's be best friends forever. <laughs> and it's really cool, just politics, you know, and it's not it's not done for gain or an ulterior motive. It's done because people just want to be seen and often I found that even when people were being mean as I experienced way too much of it's just because they didn't feel seen or heard and the knee-jerk reaction from that often would lead to chaos so yeah I don't know I'm I am an acknowledger of all humans (laughs) um and yeah a lover of the lost ones among us and I believe just all of that stuff has just made me very very highly tuned tuned in empathetic um lover of souls which is good and it's bad because it breaks your bloody heart on a daily basis, but it's mostly good. <laughs> Hard because you – attached might be the wrong word, but you, you obviously put the energy and the love and the, mm-hmm. and the effort and the, the, the focus on a something or a situation which you know, may or may not go in the way it might. Is that, is that what you're sort of saying? That, that it's sort of like the effort <clears throat> can sometimes lead to, you know um, – not the not the result you want. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess well, you, you you tell me, like you just you know you said that you know sometimes it's an amazing experience, and sometimes because of that you can fall over. Yeah, I reckon, I reckon that you just get empathy fatigue and compassion fatigue when you're built like I am, and it's you know it's interesting. You speak to any um speak to any lived experience advocate which is pretty much what I am. There's other fancy words for people like me. I can't think of What was of that right one again? Now. It was um, a lived experience advocate. Lived experience Probably advocate. Probably I'm a lived experience expert. No, I love that. But it, essentially I drive advocacy around alcohol awareness based on life and experience and it's very effective because it is straight from the rawest part of my very honest and very no-holds-barred gut, visceral level, right? I just, just shoot from the hip, say it how it is. Um, the problem is because I delve into spaces where there is a lot of vulnerable, fragile, incredibly precious humans who have also experienced significant trauma, yeah, you just you just get compassion fatigue. Um, so advocacy is an amazing thing, but it's also a really difficult thing because some days you just literally fall to your knees and you just think, oh, I can't do this for one more day. I'm so tired and I'm so heartbroken by this story or that story. But then the next day you get a message from someone saying, guess what, Shan, I celebrated two years sober and I've got my kids and my family back because I follow your pages and thank you. And I'm like, damn it, I'll keep going. <laughs> so you, it's a roller you, coaster. How do you – we've jumped straight to now, which is yeah, so – sorry. No, 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 don't be, <laughs> don't be sorry. Let's, let's stay with it. What – what because um, we'll get to sort of, you know, a bit more of the journey, but what, what – while we're on it, what is – how do you, when you get empathy and, and mm. compassion fatigue, mm. um, what, do you, do, you, what do you do? I've had to learn to um, put some very, very healthy boundaries and very healthy strategies in place. Uh, so, for instance, um, as I told you before, um, I've only done one podcast in the last year and that will be yours because I found that when I was doing them back-to-back, it was just leaving me bloodied and 
broken and just just wrecked mentally, wrecked mentally. But that's only because I did too many for what I could cope with because I didn't know my limits. So I've learned to only take on certain speaking roles. I've learned to um, I've learned to say no a hell of a lot. Um, I also had to learn to disconnect from the intensity of situations. So, for instance, um, I used to run Zoom meetings where I would be face-to-face with other people in recovery and donate a night of my week every week. And I got to a point where I was like, I actually can't do this. It's just crushing me. So I've had to learn to just go, what can I cope with and what can't I? And that's all I can do and that's fine. Um, I... um, uh, another practical example is quite often I find when I'm in a social situation and people have been on the grog, ironically, and it happens all the time at funerals and weddings. I'll go to a, I'll go to an event and people are just just drunk enough to come to me and say, "Hey, thanks for what you're doing. It's really interesting." And dot dot dot, and I know what's coming after the dot dot dot, and then they're going to tell me about a loved one or themselves and their battle, and. I'm at a stage now where I see the dot, 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 and I know what's coming, and I actually step back and I say, listen, I know you're about to share something with me that's really difficult. I actually probably can't have that discussion with you tonight because I'm really, really tired, and I'm so sorry. I'm not in I'm not in work mode. I'm here with family. And it's a, it's a, it's a funeral celebrating someone's life or it's a party celebrating, a wedding celebrating yep. someone's marriage, and so... Yep. Yep. Well, I guess that's kind of Tricky, with your hey? lived experience advocate. Yeah. That's kind of you're a magnet, you know. That people go, oh, there she is. There, I'm gonna. I've Let's got something. I mean, it's kind of so. Yeah. That's maybe um, a nice to know, a nice to have. But at the end of the day, that's uh, that's a huge responsibility, isn't it? And look, there was a time there where I gave <laughs> virtual strangers my whole night. I could do it. I had the I had the energy and I had the capacity. I just broke your pen. Oh, you bad man. Oh, That'll no. be five bucks, Charles. <laughs> Bloody hell. I won't steal your <laughs> I won't steal that Qantas cup now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Oh, no. Um and look, like there was a time and a place where I could do that, and I happily did. But I recognise, because God bless sobriety for teaching me how to recognise stuff. <laughs> I started to see I wasn't coping in certain situations. Like it was like the shutters would go down and I'd recoil physically and go, no, please, 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 please don't do an emotional dump on me because I'm so tired and I'll start crying and I just need to be here for the funeral, you know, family or or whatever it was. So now I'm just as kind about it as I can and if I recognise someone's going to come at me and maybe share a really traumatic story or ask for advice or whatever, I'm now pretty good at saying, can I can I beg of you that you go to our website and have a really good deep dive because everything in my heart and my soul and all of the things I've spent 10 years putting together are there and that's that's just the best way I can tell you to go and have a delve into this. Um, Did you flick them a little business card? Do you have a little yeah, thing just, go, No, I just say literally go, go to soberencountry.org. <clears throat> you, yeah. can, you can listen to you can watch bloody TV and podcast until you're sick of the sound of my voice. Mm. But I just I just am now honest with people and I say, I just can't do it tonight. I'm so sorry. I'm just maxed out. And people are really, really respectful of it. Yeah. Um, and having said that, I don't always defer it and I don't always um, 
do that. Sometimes I will sit with someone for hours and hours, but sometimes I can't. So I just am really frank about that. Does that make yeah. you a bit anxious about going to public events and things? Like, I mean, you, you're, you're at an event to do a, a speaking gig. Do you feel sometimes it's like, oh, you know, or people feel like you're there, of course I can have a chat with her. Or, you know, do, do you avoid those situations sometimes now? No, I just <clears throat> I just go in with my eyes wide open and um, – you've, you've got a strategy kind of thing now. Yeah, and I actually say in my <laughs> speeches now, I say, listen – P.S. I'm going to talk about some stuff here that might be a little uncomfortable and a bit triggery because it's traumatic. If it makes you feel yucky in your mm. tummy, feel free to get up and walk away. Mm. Please feel free to leave the room. I may talk about sexual assault. Um, I may talk about trauma. I may talk about addiction. And you might love someone who's going through it. You might love someone who's experienced sexual assault. Don't know. But I promise you I'm not going to be offended if you have to take a healthy Break and step out of the room. And so even just by doing that, I'm giving people, um, and it's so important you do that, I'm giving people permission to not feel guilty. Then later on, if a situation arises where I have to do the same, I say, you know how I spoke about having to step away, I'm going to have to do that now. Mm. And it's no offence to you and it doesn't mean I don't want to grab you and hug you and scoop you up and give you all of my energy, but I, I'm just tired. Well, I mean, you're, you just, you're yeah. setting boundaries and a few ground rules because yep. what you're doing is in those social situations is you're extending yourself and being the advocate of your yep. lived experience, and so I guess there has to be. Could we, you know, you hear it. Sorry. No, no, no go. No, you, you hear it all the time. You hear it all the time from particularly frontline pioneering type humans, which is what I've been branded mm. quite a lot in the bush. I'm pioneering something. Not that I, not that no one before me has ever done sobriety in the bush. There's people falling out of trees successfully who've recovered from addiction in the bush. There are amazing people everywhere. But I think that it would be fair to say I'm quite unusual in the sense that I've gone very public and very relentlessly so, um, not because my story is unique but because it's actually horrifyingly common. And... Um, Oh shit! I lost my train of thought. Well, you're, you represent a lot of um, uh, a lot of <laughs> talking about different. Far <laughs> out, doesn't matter. You know what? I it's do that. Though. I reckon every second interview, I do that, oh, and I'm about to ask a question. Me. I go. So tell me. Oh, tell me. Um, tell me what? Just tell me something while I remember the question. I know. You know what you have to say if you go blank. Mm. Just say how many cats equal a dog. <laughs> <laughs> To myself or to the other person? No, to, to the other person. Just say, listen, I just wanted to ask your opinion. How many cats do you think equal a dog? And that's my favourite question to I love, ask. I'm going to write that one down. When everything's getting a bit intense in the world or you're dealing with a, a menopausal woman whose brain just yeah, went... No, well, I'm not even menopausal or a woman, <laughs> and I do that. You might have menopause. <clears throat> that's menopause. Is there a thing? Menopause. The man, the menopause How many cats equal a dog? P.S. The answer is seven. Is that is that mm. based on um, live weight, or is, um, or is it like um, it's based on how excellent dogs are? Um, and my brother-in-law, oh, my brother-in-law Richard's expert opinion, <laughs> he asks this question of everybody, and it just leads to these endless debates that go all night long. <laughs> a, I love that. Yeah, how many cats seven cats like equal how? one dog. Uh, apparently. But then you'll have people argue that. Of course. And they go, and then, no, it's seven dogs equal a cat. Yeah. And then you get those people. And then there's cat and dog rage and yeah. then there's debates and then yeah. there's breakout And the debates. mathematicians will sort of turn into fractions. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it goes all night. So, yeah, go. You can use that one. <laughs> I am going to – I love that one. I'm going to make a little asterisk to that. So tell me um, – 
so let's get back to some chronological <laughs> order. No, don't be sorry. I love it because these things these things are um, obviously need to happen at those yeah, times. Really conversation. No, totally. This is not like a. This is not an A to B. This is not linear. Um, so <laughs> finished school. Um, had your experiences at school. Mm. Finished up there. Um, you did you go home? Did you went away? You know what, what was the next little bit? Chapter. Did you just say, did you went away? Did you went away? <laughs> oh, no. Did I just say that? Yeah. See, I'm having menopause. Or did, did you went? What, what, what did, I, did you go? <laughs> so, did you went? So cute. I'm so sincere. Did oh, you no, That's what my five-year-old says. Did you went away? <laughs> or maybe I meant to say, when did you go away? And I kind of got it all uh, so, Oh, that's excellent. Did you <laughs> So, it was like well, you went away. It was like cross between a question and a statement. And now everyone knows I snore, <laughs> <laughs> and I can't, and I don't have proper grammar like. Jeez, I tell you, so this is why <sighs> this is the mid afternoon stuff on a it's Friday. Friday. Our brains are oh, cooked. No. Okay, all right, back to back to. Uh, <clears throat> Oh, did, did you did you went to, I did, did you away. <laughs> did you went away when you left school? I did went away. I um. <laughs> people listening are going to be going. It's not oh. that funny, but they're not sitting here at three pm on a Friday no. giving of themselves. No, they probably they could be walking or running or driving or God knows what. They're just they're just going. Shut up, you losers. All right, I went away. I did. Okay, so <laughs> see, see, I was kind of answering your question. I went away. I kind of was doing the prompting. Oh, more Sorry, of that, please. That's yeah. bloody excellent. I, oh, I love stupidness. It'll just, it'll just roll out of me. It's good stuff, mate. I love a bit of a bit of um, bit comic of, relief. Bit of went away. Okay, so to answer that amazing question, <laughs> yes, I, <laughs> I did, I did exactly what all kids are supposed. to. Honestly, I'm a frigging cliche. I'm such a walking, talking cliche. I, um, I we did exactly what all boarding kid, boarding <laughs> kid. See, boarding school boarding kids. school kids do. Yeah. We'll, help you, we'll, help you we'll help each other. We'll help each other. Please, really. I need so much help. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took a gap year um, before I embarked upon the real world, and um, yes, and I'll, and uh, yeah, I wanted so very desperately to work with animals, horses, livestock. So the natural fit was Jillaroo, which I desperately wanted because I had seen my. Big brother, who I just unconditionally worship and adore to this day, I'd seen him go to the territory and come back a man mm. and with muscles and just he was just the coolest guy I'd ever seen in my life. And I was like, I want to do that. Um, so I went off and pursued stuff, um, including a trip down south to work on a stud, that place, yeah, a place, <clears throat> and then another place uh, later on. So I spent a year um, doing horsey stuff as young bloody girls I want to do. Um, but, yeah, how do I? So in summary, Charles, that yeah. year was pretty bad for me. Um, so that year, which was in my mind going to be terribly glorious and romantic and would probably see me meet my future husband and all sorts of things, actually ended up being a total disaster and um uh, I'll try and tie this in for your listeners without dragging it out, but a lot of addiction um, stems from trauma. And for me, the gap year for me was a trauma year, which ooh, basically, <laughs> if only could, people could see my face. Um, so unfortunately, I, I didn't land in a good place and I, and I was unfortunately um, 
raped by some people that I should have trusted God. I don't know how to ever say this without it not being horrendous to listen to, but, yeah, so I lost my virginity on a station uh, to people I should have trusted and then there were multiple sexual assaults off the back of that. And so, yeah, my gap year was pretty horrific um, and I was just a baby and I'd come from a very, very, very loving, secure background. And so all of those things, um, yeah, were pretty much going to set me up for <laughs> a pretty, pretty, pretty bad decade to follow. Um, so, yeah. After going off and doing this disastrous gap year, I thought, well, I better follow through and go to university, which I did in Canberra. I don't know why. <laughs> Strange. I think, you know, you know, we were of that era where everyone said, you've got to go to yeah. uni. <clears throat> so I just yeah. did. Gap year, I year just, off. And then, know, and then like, oh, get it out of your system go. and then go into uni, yeah. which is why I did, I did the same thing. Right. Yeah, it's totally. It's so yeah. bloody predictable. And then you, did, did you go to uni going, I'm not, I think I should go to uni, but I'm not actually sure. Oh, what did you do? Journalism? Did you? Idea. No. I, t- I wanted to do no. journalism because that was a natural fit. Didn't have the marks, so I did. And here's a bit of light humour after that heavy bit. Um, so I studied office management. I still don't even know what that means. <laughs> I have a Bachelor of Arts in office management. I don't know what it means. I just know that I learned to touch type and get really, really drunk. That's all I can give you. And you were in Canberra, you say? Yes. Yeah. And I rocked up there, as I now understand, a little... Oh, gosh, a cute, pretty little thing with blonde, bloody long ponytail and Cuban heel cowboy boots and my checkered shirt, and I was a total fish out of water. But bizarrely enough, after experiencing not fitting in at boarding school, for whatever reason, when I landed at university, I was totally instantly accepted. So weird, right? I don't know why. Which uni? Uh, you can, University of Canberra. Okay, interesting. I'll just add to something in a minute. Ah. But no, 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 go on. This is great. Well, yeah, <laughs> and so um, I don't know what the bloody hell happened because it's all Were there blue. any other country kids there? There were some country kids there yeah. and I fell into that crowd instantly, <clears> as you do. But even even as in such a short space of time, in that gap year of mine, I had, especially after the traumatic stuff, I had discovered that if I drank alcohol, it made me feel less nervous or scared or socially awkward. And I was all of those things all of the frigging time. I still felt like a misfit, still felt like a big, stupid, weird, bloody person who shouldn't even be on planet Earth. But when I drank, all of those feelings vanished. So I drank more. Anyway, enter enter the alter ego that would emerge to stay with me for the next two decades, which was this wild, crazy party girl who kicked off an illustrious career in Canberra, sculling out of one of my boots, doing a shoey, performing like a monkey for the rugby club, I think, from memory, or that crowd. And one of my strange superpowers is that I can scull quicker than pretty, most pretty, humans pretty good. on yeah. planet Earth. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so that was an awesome party trick. And so... I literally most, most boys would say that's a superpower. Oh mate, and I could outscull yeah. all of the boys. Yeah. And here I was this petite little blonde just going gluk and putting mm. away a schooner for party tricks and mm. then another four schooners and then and then they'd all carry me home and put me to bed and we'd repeat that, you know? Ridiculous. But I I remember um I was fresher of the year. In my first year of Canberra, which for the uninitiated means you are the official drunkest person on ground and an entire intake of new students. And that was very much a cause for celebration. 
because everyone wanted to be fresher of the year. So all of a sudden, my drinking's made me cool. It's made me popular. It's made me all these awesome things I've never been. So I kept drinking. Mm. I kept that kept that up. Because, I mean, and understandably too, mm, mm. like if I can say that, because yep. if it gave it, at that vulnerable age, nineteen, we're all looking for acceptance. Mm-hmm. We're looking for a, mm. a position, a, a, a spot in the culture, the social sort of. Yeah, I landscape. wanted to fit in. I wanted to be the cool girl, and suddenly I was. Mm. <laughs> Well, anyway, for a minute. <laughs> Sorry. <coughs> Hang on. <coughs> so, yeah, that was kind of where, that was where Party Shanna was born. Um, yeah, geez, I took to that pretty well. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Anyway. And, and, yeah. and then, so that was, that was a theme for, <coughs> for, for, for a period of time. And you, apart from that, life was more study. Did you do a did you do a journal journalism journalistic journalism? What's the word? When you do a journalism course, did you did you? Did no, you? I did stupid off, weird office <coughs> management. I don't even. So know you did to use a degree. You you, you know that was a oh, course. When you I did. Left. Yeah, when you left uni, did you then go like because you where did your journalism skills sort of? Oh yeah, that was all self taught pretty much. Yeah, so right. off the back of uni and learning how to be the drunkest person in the cosmos, I. I wanted to get back into ag. I wanted mm. to be back where I belonged, you know, amongst, you know, um, <laughs> oh, dear, country people with checkered shirts and stuff like Your that. Your tribe. My tribe. Mm. Yes, my tribe. RMs, Molly's. Yeah. Molly's. Uh, I think. Did you wear, because um, uh, the thing back in our day, the girls were yeah. like fob chains. Oh, God, don't even. Yes. Did you have them? Yes, I freaking did. That was like the. So embarrassing. You had about to have that. one of them. The girls had to. Men, if the you boys went to boarding them. school, you had to have a fob, fob chain, chain and pearls liberty, and you had to liberty, wear liberty. Liberty, yeah. And do you know what? I don't own pearls or a fob chain or liberty to this day. I will not. No, because that's. Is that, is that like memories of? And you go. Yeah, no, it's just yeah. a small act of rebellion that yeah. I will no longer conform Great. <laughs> to fit in. Totally. <laughs> so now I'm just plain Jane and very happily so. So I mean, not plain. Stop doing that. I am, but I am. Mm. I like it. I am. Anyway, so um, so I buggered off back into the ag sphere. Um, God, Charlie, you're testing this, buddy. <clears throat> oh, sorry. You can skip. You can jump twenty years no, if you want. I will skip. Ag. I'll skip six years. Yeah. Um, I went back back to Northwest New South Wales, and I um. I walked straight into a horrific relationship which lasted for six years. Um, yeah, common, boring, cliche, you know, you've been treated like a certain way so you expect that's what you're worth and so you mm. fall into a disastrous situation, which I did with a character who was um, not particularly good or loving or kind and so whatever damage had been done in that gap here. Uh, was then just perpetuated to infinity and beyond. And my drinking, I now understand that person was, was an alcoholic and so so heavy, 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 heavy drinking was really put to the forefront um, of that entire chunk of my beautiful youth. Um, so, yeah, all of these uh, behaviours were now being um, reinforced and hammered home basically. So... I was fortunate enough to escape that situation in my mid-twenties. I went uh, to Brisbane and worked for an ag, an ag chem company, which then saw me pinged back out to the bush for another ag chem company, would you believe? And that's actually how I ended up back in the south of New South Wales, near your part of the world, 
with another ag chem company. I don't know what the hell I was doing. I think I was just <laughs> whoever would employ me, to be honest. And I was the shittest um, sales rep you've ever come across in your entire life. I'm going to tell you a funny story mm. about um, <laughs> there was a client from Young. Oh, really? Young. Okay. Um, oh, as, as a client from Young, as we don't need to mention names, but, but, but an agent, like, and, a, like, a, like a, a stock and station agent. Yeah, 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 a reseller. I can, I, job, can, I can guess. My job was to go to resellers and, and say you need to you know, <coughs> get, get product sold, as you do when you're an ag yep. chem sales rep. And uh, this particular character was known for being quite difficult to get deals over the line with, you know, a bit shrewd, a bit savvy. Um, and I rocked into his office one day, and this really summarises five years of my life, I tell you. And my dear friend who he is now, he is a friend now, mm. he said, so, <laughs> Shanna, why should I buy this product from Company X? Is it because they have R&D behind them or is it because of this or that? And I, and I guffawed and went, no, it's because if you don't buy two pallets from me today, I'm so going to get the sack. Please, can you just buy some stuff? And, uh, and he cracked up laughing and he said, Well, you were on it. You were being honest. He said, Are you for real? And I went, Yes, like I will. I'll probably get sacked. Like I've, I'm not very good at my job and I really need to buy some my stuff. My numbers aren't good this month. <laughs> anyway, listen to that evil cackle. And he goes, Based on the honesty of that answer, how many pallets do you need? And I went, Can you get three? And he goes, Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Hysterical. Anyway, he's a mate of mine to this That's day. Crazy. I was so bad at that job. I can't tell you how bad I was at anything to do with um, KPIs, performance, mm. numbers, sales. I was shockingly bad. And if my old boss is listening, I'm so sorry, mate. I, God, you must have got ulcers over me. But I always had this big heart and this good intent and this personality and I somehow skated through these. Well, I mean, in, in, a, in that sort of scenario, I can imagine that, you know, in that office scenario, you're being totally honest, that it wasn't so much the, the, the sales pitch, it was more the personality. And you know, I know in agriculture, you know, here comes party party girl, turns oh. up selling some chemical. Of course we'll do that because you'll probably stick around and go for a beer later on or something. Oh. Was there an element of like, yeah. you know, you didn't need to sell like, normal salesperson because mm. you were able to kind of, you know, in that world of expectation or she's fun. Oh, and it was totally a male-dominated arena. Mm. There were not many women doing my job. So I dare say that I was a novelty and I got excused for a lot of things because I was a cute little blonde wild thing and I did stuff that, you know, I'm sure any man in my position could never have been, um, you know, <laughs> Given free reign, I, I, yeah, so I used that um, that power of being a girl, I suppose, in that situation. But in the end, it was not a good thing to do because it kept perpetuating and setting up this thing that I had had ingrained to me all Rep- my was life. Reputation, reputation. Like <clears throat> um, I didn't take myself terribly seriously, actually. Um, and so why would anyone else? So I wasn't taken very seriously as a professional. Like I was a good, fun party girl. Um, <clears throat> and I still remember I was at one of these endless, infinite bloody parties in one of these endless, endless, infinite small towns that I lived in because I was running and running and running and running and running from myself. But, Charlie, turns out wherever I ran, there I was. Stupid bloody me. So I was on the run constantly. And I think one night I was um, I was bemoaning my, you know, single status and, you know, um, someone else 
was getting married or someone else was getting pregnant and I was sort of getting to that pointy end of things as I was getting into my late 20s where all the people were doing all the normal things that people did as they grow up, grew up and, and whatever. And I was having a whinge going, you know, bloody hell, why can't I, why can't I find this? And someone kindly said to me, well, gee, Shan, we, we sort of all, it was a guy friend, he said, the guys kind of want to be with you but they want to marry that girl over there because she's, not quite as wild, if you know what I'm putting down. And I was like, what? And I remember being <laughs> utterly brokenhearted, but it was kind of... What you uh, needed to hear? It was what I needed to hear because I wasn't... My, my behaviour was so outrageous by this point. I was now in my late 20s. I was, I was pretty outrageous. I was doing some really stupid, risky stuff. I now understand these are all the glaring, boringly flipping obvious uh, red flags of someone with unresolved trauma, who's drinking excessively, whether it's high-risk-taking behaviour or promiscuity or all of the above amplified. I was doing all the things I now can see at a thousand paces in young women who are not okay, but I couldn't see it in myself. Did anyone did anyone approach you at any time, friend or, or stranger, and go, hey, what's, <clears throat> what's going on? Did anyone kind of... Courageous yeah. enough to step up and you know have that have that chat. Yeah, a couple of people were starting to, um, but I'd also developed the capacity at that stage to push away anyone who got too close. So I was in that extremely boringly cliched place of being uh, untouchable because that's how I made myself. It, it, it's um it's such. It, the paradoxes of a person like me in the place I was were that I wanted love, but as soon as that became a reality, I pushed it away. I wanted kindness. As soon as that became reality, I bolted. So the things I wanted were the things I avoided, and it was just this crazy self-fulfilling prophecy of I want that, but I'm not worth it. I need that, but I don't deserve that. So sad. It's so sad. And you see it all the time. Um, ooh, it makes me want to cry because... I was still a good kid at heart, but all of that trauma, all that drinking, all of that dreadful treatment, behaviour, uh, reinforced stuff about worthlessness, it governed everything. So I think I was then suddenly 10 years had gone past and I now freely refer to my 20s as a decade of disaster. Can't remember half of it. Um, got my heart broken that many times. Um Broke a few hearts along the way too because, God forbid, someone showed that they were going to fall in love with me. <laughs> mm. Crazy. And so um, I did another sea change and packed my entire life up and thought, I'll go to the desert. <laughs> That'll fix me. I'll go to the <laughs> desert. I'll go to Alice Springs, which yeah. is now I understand where all lost souls go. Um, so I went to Alice Springs to be a tour guide because – uh, a mate of mine had gone up there to do the same thing, not from a dysfunctional perspective, purely because he was a mad adventurer. Um, and he'd been emailing a few of us because we didn't have social media back then, saying, you guys, you know. Oh, no, he'd been faxing you. No. <laughs> no, we'd moved to email. <laughs> we'd progressed. And, uh, yeah, Pigeons. we'd get these emails. Guys, you bloody need to get up here to this. Did you have to go Australia. to an internet cafe to do it? Yeah, bloody <laughs> oath. Yeah, because no one had what? No, no one had. there was no Wi-Fi. God no. <laughs> Where's the internet cafe around Where's here? Where's the cafe? That's a classic. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I responded to one of these emails and said, "Oh, do you reckon I could be a tour guide? Because of course I was ready to run again from another broken heart and another disaster." 
And the reply came back saying, yeah, you'd be an awesome tour guide. Anyway, of course the person sending those emails was my mate Timmy Wan, who I'd known since I was about 20. Oh, Who's you had it? known Tim for a while? Yeah, I'd oh, known him for a long time. Really? From up here, from this part of the world? Um, we, worked, we worked for the same um, company at one stage, oh, so we'd cross paths. Yeah, nice. He was just wanting. He was a really nice bloke. Therefore, I was not interested because he was really nice, decent. Yeah, right. Yeah, good guy. I was like, ew, boring. Like North Pole, South Pole, <laughs> like not... <laughs> Whatever, wanting. Yeah, yeah, oh, God. Not him. Not him. Anyone better nice guy who was going to treat me properly. Yeah. Anyway... So I answered this email from Wani and um, he said, yeah, no, you'd be great at it. One thing led to bloody another and he said, look, slip up to Moores Creek on your way to the Territory and pick me up. I'll, I'll keep you company on the road trip. So where we are right now is where I drove through at the age of 30 in my busted old long reach ute, which I, was my pride and joy, by the way, um, because it made me independent and Stevie from McLeod's Daughters. Ah, who's also disastrous. <laughs> <laughs> and I came straight past this little church in my old shitty ute and picked up Wani. He was, was he at the church? He was home next door. Is he talking about coming home? A, a grey ute just turned up. Oh, you're shitting me. That's Tim Wan. Isn't that funny? hysterical. He's never home early, ever, in the planet. We might, maybe we'll hit pause and we'll come back. How funny is that? I'll send him to his mum and dad's. No, he can stay. He can absolutely stay, sit. Really? Spa keg, I, so he fine. He would do that. Yeah, no, I don't want him get, having to piss off. Not at all. Piss off, Wani. Yeah. Well, anyway, out out from Isn't this house next door, from his mum and dad's house, walked Timmy, and he gave me his smile, his full, I call mm. it his double fang smile, mm. all his fangs. Mm. And I went, oh, shit, I missed this. Mm. I missed this one. You hadn't seen him for a while? No. Mm. No, we'll keep look rolling. At look at him strolling down strolling the concrete in path. There. Oh, my God. G'day, mate. G'day, Tim. Yeah. What's going on? We're going to keep rolling. We're just going to have a hello. We're not going to – we don't do any editing here, Tim. Now, for those who are listening, I haven't met Tim before. Charlie, Charlie, make Tim. Oh, Charlie. Oh, my God. Charlie, make Tim. Oh, Charlie. Oh, my God. Charlie, make Tim. Oh, 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 Charlie, make you see me on the CCTV up in the corner there and you're going, who's there's a bloody bloke somewhere? <laughs> so you've been to, you're out, where were you? You were Oh, out of Walgut today. So I've been, um, yeah, down at Narromine and then crossed to Warren and uh, Corinda, Walgut last night and back here today, yeah. How's the season out there looking? How's, it's how's bloody Walgut? dry out west there at the moment. Well... You know, the moisture's not too far down, but um, but they need a good 
two or three inches out there, I, I reckon, to have a good go at it. We had cattle on a dispen at Walgut, and Nick Mace won't mind me saying so, because that's where they were, just um, south-west of Walgut. We had some of our cattle out there for a few months, and then it got really wet, and we couldn't get them out for a few extra months, so they had to stay. And then he had to put them on a neighbour's place, because it was just yeah. so wet. Yeah. Oh, there's plenty of feed out there now, so that's not the drama. There's oh, there's feed? There's yeah. feed? Yeah. Okay, Actually. good drop. Oh, lovely. What have we got here? Non-alcoholic etch. Beautiful. Oh, awesome. Crack that sucker. You might have to remind me that we're still rolling because yeah, I'll, I'll be all going, so tell me, and they will like, walk out, so let's go and get in the keg, so and they're like, hang on, that thing's still rolling. What are we making here? Podcast. Podcast. Charlie does a regenerative bag podcast. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? Um, what time is it? It's four. God. Do you want to take the dogs for a run and a swim? Yeah. Yep. And, then, and then have a cake. You'll have to yep. put some clothes on because Shan was saying you usually go swimming in the nude. Yeah, he yeah. loves yeah. it. Yeah. He nudes up. Because we... <laughs> <laughs> I'm regenerating. <laughs> Love you. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. These it's are delicious. Mm, yum. These are... Mm. Classic. Get him on one day. Oh no! Well, I did think whether we do the the, the pair, but yeah, I think he's very good. Yeah, he's, he's good. very good. Actually. No, I've been stalking him for a while oh, now. Don't worry. How cute was that? Yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah. We'll edit all this out. Sorry, Charlie. No, and also, no, we were off. Tim, lovely to meet you. I'll probably see you before when you come back um, from your swim. Sorry, Dad. With the hounds. I can't believe you got home early. This, this no, this is great. This is this is awesome. No, this, this is, is no, this is really good. I love you. We just got to remember where we, where we got up to. Oh, no, yes, Tim, Tim arrived 20 Literally. years ago, picking Literally. Tim up and off to Alice. All right, well, I'll just keep jabbering, babe. Okay. Um, <coughs> yeah, so, okay. so, so you, you cruise past, picked up Tim, yeah. let's go to Alice. Oh, block your ears, matey, because you'll get a big head. Um, yeah, so uh, cruise past, pulled up, saw Tim want, and literally thought, oh, goodness gracious, I've really missed something here. So normal, nice guy. No, just a damn good fella, yeah. like a really proper good fella. Yeah. Hey, Timbo. Yeah, and pretty good looking. Pretty good looking. Oh, he, he is very <laughs> handsome. Hey? And I just, anyway, um, and it was such a funny thing because all of these years and all of these dramas and all of this horrendous stuff had happened and I realised and recognised that there was this incredibly lovely human being who I'd never looked at sideways. Mm. And um, I probably reckon I fell in love on sight when I saw Timmy come out of the farmhouse here next door that day with all of his teeth and gave me his big smile and I went, oh, oh shit. Oh, no. He's a, he's, he goes all right, this bloke. He goes all right. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't recognise. And you're going, oh, I'm going to sit in the, sit in the ute for the next... Two days, three days. Yes, and so mm. I did exactly what I do, which is fall hard and fast in love with someone. Mm. God, I'm hopeless. Um, <laughs> but ironically, uh, Timbo, so at that point in life, um, everything was starting to go pretty south pretty quickly. Um, and Timbo knew I wasn't okay. He didn't know exactly what was going on, but he knew I wasn't okay. And his instinct was good enough to have his radar up going, whoa, what's going on here with Shan? Um, and, yeah, like literally I reckon I fell in love in record time. And <laughs> Before you got to Narrabri? Just after. <laughs> Five k <K's> out. <laughs> his, his head is getting bigger, isn't it? Look at it. It's getting bigger as, he's, as we speak. <laughs> and Timbo, um, oh, God, anyway, the recurring theme was, oh, 
Shan, you're a great bird, but uh, no, like I'm not getting into whatever this is. And I'm like, what? How could you not want to be involved with me? Anyway, and so began what I refer to as the most dysfunctional beginning of any relationship of all time on planet Earth, um, which was us going to the Territory together, kind of together, kind of not together. Oh, my goodness gracious. So so ensued five years of me... um, we were in the Territory, then we were back home, we were back to the Territory, back home. Meanwhile, meanwhile my uh, drinking had taken whole new proportions because let me tell you, Charlie Arnott, if you are a budding um, alcoholic, you don't probably want to go to the Territory and become a tour guide. No, I can imagine that would be a, um, <laughs> a, a, a what's the word, a... a Yes, uh, oh, I can't even think a of the word. Uh, a hot, not, not a hotbed, that's the wrong word, but like, yeah, like a, a, um, a, yeah. Yeah. You couldn't, yeah, you couldn't escape the grog up there. You can't escape the grog up there. It's, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a state that identifies by its God-given right to drink itself. <laughs> Stupid every day, mm-hmm. any day. Um, yeah, so basically everything went sideways pretty quickly um, and my drinking escalated. And we haven't really... Um, introduced oh sorry discussed the um particulars of all of that but Mm. long story short is any sense of functionality was very quickly going out the window and by the time we finally came back to the northwest dysfunctionally together in our uh, mid-30s yeah stuff was going pretty sideways pretty fast um so i got my man quote unquote yeah. Came back to the northwest to grow up and settle down because we were sick of being broke and exhausted. <laughs> Ironic. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> um, sorry, it was side side life to myself about being broke and exhausted. Um, yeah, so we came back and uh, had a crack at doing what normal people did, which is settle down, get married, have a family. But none of that happened. Um how, let's fast forward this bit, shall we? Yeah, sure. You jump in. You jump in. I feel no, like no, you no, need to leave no, 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 no. I just want you to take it and say what you feel you need and want to and want to say. Uh, you don't um, have to. Say, you don't have to say much more. If you no, want no, to. it's all good. Look, look at that little scene. Isn't that cute? Got his little shorts on. Took his work strides off. He's got his little shorts on there. Got the old King G's on. Hey, boots, King G's out the paddock. And a little, 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 boing, boing, little biscuit. Where are, the other, where are the other two? Out ahead. Uh, <laughs> biscuit's going, this, is long, this grass is too long. Too long. <laughs> belly <is> tickling. <laughs> oh, they're fine. Um, so back here, there, <laughs> there was there was dysfunction and yeah. there, there was a point, and I, I have listened to, you know, you speak before and there's plenty of, you know, other, and, you know, people want all the detail, they can check it out elsewhere. Oh, little um, flea bags back. Why? What? No, know. she gets. She doesn't know. She hasn't. They haven't gone. Yeah. Yeah. What Timbo does is he forgets flea bag. Flea bag has dragged the chain a little bit. <clears throat> Just for the like listeners who. Um, he hasn't. He hasn't taken it. All oh, right. Oh, little it's okay, flea bag. bag. All right. Sorry. Um, no, it's all right. So, so the, you know, there was a time when um, you got to a point and went right. You know, something happened. You know. Tim was there, and you went right. This is kind of, this is. Well, I need to. I need to. I need to do something. Need to sort stuff out. Mm. Yeah. So, so coming back, um, <clears throat> coming back to the northwest, settling down, trying to do the thing that people do when they turn 
35, 6, 7, mm. 8, 9, mm. etc. Um, so we wanted to have a family. What We just wanted to do all of the normal things. We got married. Um, but the very, very long story short is that all of the catastrophic things that I had done from the ages of 20, you know, to those mid-30s, had really taken its toll and my drinking was well and truly out of control by my mid-30s. And it's really interesting. I never, ever, ever really actually understood I was in full-blown addiction because I worked hard and I drank kale smoothies and I ran and I worked out and I had a job and I was a professional and I didn't drink every day. So you had offsets. Yes, and I didn't drink every day. I didn't drink during the day. I didn't drink out of a brown paper bag, blah, blah, blah. I didn't drink till five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I had done is I had become one of those people who as soon as five o'clock came, I was going to crack a can or a bottle of wine or whatever the hell was on the go. And in the end, I actually couldn't pull up. I was going to drink until I blacked out. So that's and that's the sliding scale of addiction. Thanks for coming. One day you're 18, fresh faced with the world at your feet, and the next minute you are contemplating taking your own life because you actually can't face living, but you can't quite face finding the courage to die. Terrible, terrible, terrible place. And that's where I was. And you know, the catalyst for all of that was the fact that we couldn't have kids. Could never find a reason why. Um, we tried assisted fertility, tried praying, tried fasting, tried detoxing, tried health retreats, tried everything, went went through long periods of, well, not long, but periods of sobriety, health kicks, you name it. But um, each time we would have a failure and a negative response, or, sorry, a negative result, I would, I would have a relapse into catastrophic grief. And that cycle was a couple of years and in the end um, I had the boring old cliche rock bottom moment which for me was falling down a flight of concrete stairs. Um, I had been at a boxing day, no, what is it, straight after Christmas? Yeah, boxing day, early 2015. After Christmas. Oh, my God. It's boxing day. I can't talk properly right, so don't ask me about bloody events. Yeah, boxing day, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'd been at boxing day again over the road here at Tim's mum and dad's with all the pregnant people and all the babies and all the toddlers Mm. and all of the stuff. All the reminders. All of the reminders. Um, And I remember it was like in Dolby surround sound, I remember hearing the galahs. I remember hearing cricket balls on cricket bats. I remember hearing laughing kids. I remember hearing the sound of beer bottles opening. Like, And it was really weird. I was having a bit of an out-of-body experience um, observing these things, hearing these sounds and feeling completely and utterly disconnected from life in every way and going, I just don't belong here. Oh, and see, sorry, I always get emotional. Um, and I, I sort of looked over the paddock and I saw Timbo and he was holding one of his nephews and I just saw the pain in his face of the grief of, you know, will this ever be us? Will it ever be us? And I just remember um, I got up and I just I just left. I just I got up and I just walked through the crowd, just past everybody. I was like, an, you know, an autom- automaton, is that the word, automaton? Automatic. Um, I don't know, whatever, yeah. a robot, freaking robot, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it was a yeah, robot. Yeah. In autopilot kind of thing. <laughs> I was in autopilot. I walked through the crowd, hopped in my car, drove into town, drove to the bottle shop and got I think three bottles of wine 
and drove back to the house in town and proceeded to write myself off. And I'm pretty sure that day I was like, I I hope this is the day I can end it. I just hope it's the day I can end this because I can't be this anymore. But it wasn't meant to be. (laughs) So I um, came to, and I I don't know the details of what happened next. Um, All I know is that I woke up in emergency the following day with Timbo, uh, standing next to the bed and um, tubes coming out of me and I had a great big hole here in between my eyes. And, um, yeah, I'd had a I'd had a fall and um, another one, but I think there was a fair bit of intent there. <laughs> anyway, and, yeah, that was my rock bottom um, of all of these things and all of these years and all of this bloody trauma and shit and misery and chaos and self-destruction and horror had just led me to a point of going, wow, wow, you are literally going to die. Like you're going to die. If you keep this up, you are going to die. And I'd never really considered that in all of its horrifying glory before because I'd been lying to myself and everyone else. I was in classic end-stage alcohol addiction denial. And... um yeah, I just I just realised that I had I I had not much left to give, um, not many chances, if any. Yeah, my family, unbeknownst to me at that time, had been discussing my funeral. <laughs> they were like, "What are we going to do when Shan dies? What are we going to do with Fleabag?" Like they were literally discussing what they would do because it was that obvious I was going to die by my own hand or accident or otherwise. And so. Um, I tried one last time and I tried one last thing and I um, actually rang a helpline, would you believe, and that helpline put me in touch with AA and then AA put me in touch with a girl. And and you, said, so you got out of hospital? Oh, sorry, got out <laughs> no, of hospital, no, 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 yeah. yeah. So you sort of got through that bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah got out, got through that did bit. Tim, did Tim have any words with you after? Was he kind of... Oh, uh, yeah. Was, so, was he at a point? Yeah, but, so that was... Um, that was actually a very interesting thing because Tibbo and P.S. People who want to, this is all in our Australian story episode. More about this. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, so Timbo, I still remember the morning after. Um, something people who love someone in addiction will always say is, "Why? Why? Why could? Why do you do this? How can you do this? What are you thinking?" There are questions everyone has and the problem is we don't have answers. And so I was waiting for Tim that day to say, why do you, Why did you, how could you, who, blah, 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 all the usual, um, all the usual things they couldn't answer. Mm. And the next day I woke up and he was sitting on the side of the bed, we were back at home and um, I just remember he, he brushed a strand of hair away from all the sticky, gooey, bloody mess in my face and just and I was waiting for it and I was fully tensed up waiting for the question. And he didn't ask it. He said, oh, he said, you can't help this, can you, Shen? You cannot even help this, can you? And it was, in, it was such a pivotal thing for him to ask because for the first time he hadn't said why. For the first time he had said you can't even help it. And I just lost it completely and I just I just caved because I couldn't help it. And it was the first time I'd given myself permission to know that I couldn't. I was utterly powerless in every way, shape and form over alcohol and I'd never really 
given that process full, you know, due thought, you know, or vice versa. He almost created the space for you to have that epiphany. Epiphany. Slightly overdue epiphany. You know, and a lot of people in catastrophic addiction will die before they get the privilege of that epiphany because we will drink ourselves to death. But I was very, very, very fortunate. And so I took that epiphany and that's when I rang a helpline who put me onto AA, who put me onto a girl. And they said, oh, there's a support group just up the road from you, Dal. <laughs> and, of course, it was a Sydney mob. And I went, oh, where? <laughs> up the road. And they said Tamworth. And I went, eh, give or take. Anyway, <clears throat> so we drove 400 kilometres to meet a person. And that was pretty much the turning point for me was driving 400 k's to meet this girl and her husband who walked out of this AA room in this building um, and I still remember as clear as anything, Charlie, this bloody couple walking out of that building and it could have been Tim and me. And I was expecting this the cliche and the stereotype. I was expecting some crusty old dude with holes in his coat who would weird me out. And I now understand that was an ignorant, horrible thing for me to even think, but that is what I had been conditioned to think. Now I know that that old crusty dude with holes in their coat was the next bloody step for me you know so I don't think like that then but I still had all these rubbish bullshit stigmas you know in my head about what addiction was and what it wasn't and I did not expect an, uh, a woman that could have been my sister and a bloke that could have been Tim's brother to walk out of that building but that's what it was and I often think that was a bit of a a divine moment, actually, because yeah. it smashed a stigma. Big, 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 hairy stigma was smashed then and there. When because they're like, oh, they're like us. They're like me. I'm they not, look like normal, me. Yeah. They look like me. They look like me. And that connection uh, was made anyway. And I went into that AA meeting that day in that building in that town, and I sat down, and my beautiful friend, who's of course a friend to this day. Let a few people do their thing and share, which is all an AA meeting is, P.S. folks. It's just people sharing what's happened to them. Um, yeah, she said, Shan, do you want to, do you, would you like to share? And um, I remember, I remember going, whoa, and it's like everything went into tunnel vision and tunnel focus. And I was like, it's now or never, big girl. <laughs> yeah, you need to step up. You need to stand up and you need to, you need to speak. So I did. And I've never shut up. <laughs> no. Thank and God. I, no, thank God you haven't. Oh, and I look honestly, mate. I, I stood up that day, and Timmy was sitting, and he had he was holding my hand. Mm. And you know, people had been asking me for quite a few years. Do you think, Shan, that you might be in trouble? You think you might be addicted to alcohol? Do you reckon you might be an alcoholic? Which we're not allowed to say anymore. But that's another whole story. Um. But that day, I stood up in that meeting, and I just. And I went, my name's Shanna, and uh, and I burst out laughing and I said, I'm totally an alcoholic. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm a raging is, is that, <laughs> I just, is that the first time you'd actually said it? It's the first time I said it and I just started laughing and I said, I'm totally, I am an alcoholic. My name is Shanna and I'm an alcoholic. And Was that I, liberating? It was so liberating. I just, and I went from laughing to then crying to then sharing my story to then just telling the truth about my life in that meeting, in that room, in front of a bunch of strangers. It was like a totally cliche, bloomin' American movie. And it was friggin' awesome because for the first time in my adult life, I told the truth. And there was something extremely liberating about that. 
And Timbo was just in tears. I just saw out of the side of my eyes, he had tears just streaming down his face. And that was a life-saving, life-changing intervention moment, whatever you want to call it. Not just meeting someone who looked and walked and talked and sounded like me, but to be able to share that I was what I was without fear of judgment or persecution or shame because all the people in that room that day were the same as me and none of them were judging. All they did was clap and say, congratulations, Shan, that's the most important thing you're ever going to say or acknowledge. Can I just say, Mm. just Mm. you just said it was the first time in your life you told the truth. Yeah. Which I don't disagree with, but I'd also hazard to say that for your life you had been telling the truth. There's a portion of a day, your life, whatever, that you weren't, your your addiction. Mm. But when I think about what you've told me in this interview <clears throat> about the truth that you were about yourself in the boarding school, mm. you were being you were being channel, right? You were just hanging with the boys, you're a bit of a tomboy, and mm. you stayed in your truth. When you spoke to that agent <clears throat> and said I mean, you're pretty truthful. I need to sell some pallets. Like, <laughs> just to yeah. kind of frame that Sorry, up. Like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not saying what you said was wrong. Thing. No, no. I'm giving you. Yeah. yeah so I'm just. Oh, I want to. I want to highlight you're to you as up. a as a as a individual. It's wonderful and it's really important that, that you hear this. That you, I'm sure you've heard it before, but I want to emphasise that you had been probably one of the most truthful people that there is. Hmm. Except for that bit, I know it's a big, I know it's a, I know it's a big bit, but yeah. but in terms of your integrity, in terms of your truthfulness mm. with other people, right? That's true. That's a really big thing, you know. Actually, thank your you. life has yeah. not been about untruths. No, that's actually, and that's it. thanks, Charlie. Yeah. That's a really beautiful clarification, actually, because people had always said to me, "You are honest to a fault. You are truthful totally. to a fault." But the one thing I couldn't be truthful about, thank you, was my addiction. That's the one thing I couldn't be honest about. Yes, and unfortunately that one thing overrode all else. It's a, it's a big one. Yeah, so yeah. it took, I, I would describe it as a gaping black hole where everything good and kind and honourable and decent and loving and hopeful and happy about me was just swallowed. And in the end, I've got to say, I was not a good human. In my, in my last, you know, illustrious drinking days, all of the things about me that I now value and treasure again, integrity, honesty, um, uh, lovingness, all of those things were stolen because you lie and you manipulate and you do actually become the antithesis of everything you've ever striven, 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 whatever, to be. Whatever. I love it how we break these intense moments up with stupid words. Can with someone a bit, with a bit of with a bit of bit of novel grammar? Strove. I strove. Strove. But I you know, it's really interesting, right? Shanna won today. Oh my god, my integrity and is everything. Like it is non negotiable. It is everything. And I lost that in my drinking. I really did. So, yeah, the the regaining of all of those core values and core beliefs and core things of who made me the beautiful person I was came back to me as soon as alcohol was gone. I literally started getting it back in in days. But you know what? There was some work ahead. But the first step, and again, sounds like a cliche, the first step in my entire recovery, which will be ongoing for the rest of my life because you don't come back from three decades of horror overnight 
or even in a decade is almost the case where I'm at now. But that hope began restoring almost instantly, almost instantly. And um, speaking the truth was the first part of getting my 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 shannonness back. I am an alcoholic. I am totally not capable of drinking anymore ever again or I will die. That's the first bit. And when I said to you a minute ago, you're not allowed to say alcoholic, in medical fraternities these days they say it's too stigmatising and we need to remove that word and say alcohol addict or alcohol use disorder or someone suffering with alcohol. So from a charity perspective, I'll put my CEO hat on for a moment here, that's how we will speak about it in the first instance, right? Because I understand that stuff and that language and that talk can actually impact people. But for me personally, as Shanna the Human, I'll always say that saying that thing on that day was paramount for me because a lot of people had said a lot of soft, fluffy things to me in the lead up to that day. Oh, Shan, it's okay. You've just been abused and you had terrible experiences and you're just a binge drinker and you just, you're fine, Dal. You're right. You know what? I needed to be slapped across the face with the truth of if you don't stop, you will die. So it was actually a very important thing for me personally to identify in that moment, in that day, as an alcoholic. It actually really was. Why? Why is it that that's? Is it? Is it like it's not politically correct? It's to use not that politically term. correct, but I. Why think, not? Uh, in the medical fraternities, you will hear it spoken about very frequently that it is further stigmatizing people who suffer alcohol use disorder or a problematic relationship with alcohol. And there's lots of phrases and terms that are now acceptable to use. And I see the fit. I see the place. I do see that. I do see that. So it's funny, sober in the country as a charity, our philosophy is there's no one size. There's no one size that fits all. Nothing about addiction or recovery is linear. It is not black and white. It is a thousand shades of grey. So while we respect the importance of language and terminology, and I can fully see why, and if someone had maybe gotten a hold of me at the age of 18 and said, Shan, I think you might have yourself a big raging case of alcohol use disorder, I I might have listened. But that was not going to work with suicidal Shanna at age 40. I needed, Shan, if you don't stop, you're going to die. You are actually going to die and I needed to take full ownership of that, which is why you'll always hear me qualify things with comma, but that's just me, underline, double score, bold. (laughs) That's just me. What worked for me may not work for someone else and I will always qualify and I will always clarify that because I don't ever want someone to think um, their own journey to getting sober is invalid. You know, anyway, there you go. Everyone, that's, no, that's, everyone's different. Yeah, absolutely. everyone's different, and um, and I get that, and I fully get that. But I was a, I was a hard-headed, typical rock-bottom drinker, and I needed a big fat reality check. But having said that, right, I now call myself a recovered alcoholic, which is a no-no as well, because some people will sit here and argue until you're dead and bloodied in the gutter. You never recovered. That there's no such thing as recovered, right? To which Are they I say, people that haven't been alcoholics? As uh, in they don't really know that the landscape of that and they're just saying you're saying the wrong things or are they coming from their own experience? And it's just interesting. Language is so important, it's isn't it? It's so then, important. And, and people get so wound up about yeah. <coughs> a yeah. few letters. You know? Yeah, I've had people come for my jugular because I've dared to say I'm a recovered alcoholic. 
Okay, so again, let's precede this with for me, comma. Yeah. For me, comma, when I say that, what I mean is I could never go out tomorrow and pick up a drink and drink normally, whatever that bloody even means in Australia. I could never do that. If I went and picked up a drink today, I reckon you'd be at my funeral in under six months. I can't ever drink again. Yeah. I cannot. It will kill me. However, the point is I don't want to. I don't think about it. I don't suffer the agonizing torment and the mental obsession of alcohol addiction like I knew it and I haven't done for eight years. For me, when I stopped, I gave I gave it away then and there in that instant. I really did and and I I just don't have that torment and that agony. And I'm at a place in my life now where there's beers in the back shed here. Mm. You you might have a beer with Tim when we knock off in front of me and I don't care. I speak at events where groggy served. I don't care. I do not judge or envy or have any feelings about alcohol. You're not anymore. like looking sideways at that beer no, over there, no. But I and did. that's that's a, that's an enormous. You know, that just shows your strength, the character, and, no. and I guess and conviction. No, no. Do you know what it shows? What is it? Thank you. It was never about willpower. Mm. Um, it was always about willingness to admit the truth to myself that I couldn't drink again and then learning to operate as a human who didn't want to. So there's this beautiful thing called the paradox of surrender. And when I surrendered that moment in that day, I went, you know what, I can't drink ever again and I don't want to. And I started to reprogram everything about how I thought and I released any thoughts of ever thinking, gee, I wouldn't mind just one. And I started saying, if I have one, I will die. And it's, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I worked my guts out, mind you. I changed every aspect of my life from where I went, who I went with, what I did, how I spoke, how I did social events. Like every aspect of my life was excavated from the ground up. I worked my bum off to change everything. And I was very willing and I was very honest and I worked and I worked and I worked. And I believe through the process of working, my guts out is how I got that freedom. So I didn't just sit there and go, cool, I, yeah. I don't drink anymore. I, I worked very hard. A very conscious transformation. Very much. Of your whole life. Let's yeah. talk about transformations. Let's mm. talk about sober in the country. Yes. It's it's genesis. It's, um, it's yes. charter. Yes. <clears throat> it's... Um, significance to you and the rest of the world, because I, I, you know, this this is um, is definitely a plug. We're at Flea Bear going. Where is everyone? Oh God! It's a plug for oh a very very worthy cause. Oh, there's a flea bear's going. Hang on, there's supposed to be two other dogs here that are not here. She's blind and deaf, and she needs to be. She's in really good condition. She's unreal. Aren't she? She's not even really grey around the muzzle. You know, they get really grey. Yeah, she's such a dear. Here he comes. Here comes the big man. Um, so let's let's dive into in the. Um, well, it's a good segue, actually. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because people want to know how it started, yeah. and how it started. Tell people, don't keep that a secret. Well, so, um, so I. Straight off the back, here's Fleabag drinking noisily in the background now. She doesn't know there's another water bowl right out there. She gets so anxious when she's separate from me that she won't drink. Oh, my God. Some co- I've got to have. I've got to have my water near mummy where oh mummy's water Oh, my God. Is. It's codependency it's flipping so through the roof. I'm such a bad dog, Mum. They have no independence. It's um, so I, off the back of meeting um, and finding that, that um, face-to-face recovery group so helpful, mm. I took 
I asked a few people and they said, well, you should start one in your town. And I went, that's a great idea because I want to do something because one of the fundamentals of, <clears throat> excuse me, recovery for the uninitiated is helping others and being of service to others. Yeah, giving back, right? And I thought, well, I'll do that because I'm taking, I took a year off life to rebuild. I quit my job. I quit my, um, at the time I was a freelance photojournalist because yeah. I'd finally evolved into what I should have been all along. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I was like, well, I have to quit all this because it takes me on the road and on the road there are hotels and there are alcohol. You were so, eliminating all yep. opportunities. So for, I'm not doing yeah, any of that yeah. stuff until I'm okay. Yeah. Oh, God, help me. <laughs> Sorry. No, this is a classic. Can you maybe be in charge of <laughs> Listeners, I hope you're still with us. I'm sure you are because this is incredibly interesting and important. This is a classic. No, it's so fine. Sorry, everybody in the world. Me. It is a long podcast, so. No, it is. You, how are you going? You are you good? Yeah, I'm good. I just you're hope up? everyone's not in a coma by now. Do you no, 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 no. Sorry, Absolute, everyone, if you're no, in a coma. Wake absolutely up. not. Absolutely not. Wake up. No. Get up. Get up. No. Um, yeah, so, um, okay, I did what everyone suggested I should do. I'll start a meeting. Anyway, you wouldn't believe it, Charlie, but it was wildly unsuccessful. <laughs> and where was that, in Narrabri? <clears throat> yeah, in yeah. Narrabri. So as in you said, I'm having a meeting <coughs> here at whatever time, 7pm, mm, turn up. Pretty much. Yeah. And you're supposed to put flyers up in doctor's surgeries and public notice boards. You're not as a, as a representative of AA under that yes, banner? Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. I did all the right things through AA um, because that's I'm, I'm now a goody-goody, duh. I'm in recovery. I'm a good girl now. So I did all the right things. But, um, yeah, look, I spent about a year and a half opening and closing the church in the West and very hopefully, hopefully lurking in the corner, <laughs> waiting for someone. Uh, yeah, and no one really ever came. And the, those that did came, I think I terrified them because I rushed at them with my arms out going, oh, my gosh, welcome. <laughs> There's someone else out there. Honestly, I was just bloody desperate for someone to just hang with and be with. And anyway, long story short is I... Got to a point. That's right. Timmy on his No, it's phone. fine. No, it's so fine. No, totally. Unless he's like <laughs> dealing drugs and he's doing a going to about to drop off, and we hear, hear the hear the detail. No, it's so fine. He's, la- he's a loud talker like me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, nobody came, and uh, eventually <clears throat> I realised no one was going to come, and I thought, righto, okay. Well, I tried what everyone said I should try. So I then started just writing a bit of a blog about stuff. I started sharing candidly about my experience because I'm a journalist and I'd had a year and a half under my belt by then and I thought, well, I'm not entirely lacking credibility anymore so maybe I'll just tentatively... Because people used to say to me, gee, Shan, you look well. Gee, Shan, you seem calm. Um, Your skin's good or, I don't know, you don't seem like a crazy lunatic anymore. What's up, cuz? <laughs> um, not realising what you, you the, the changes you'd made... No, because I was very secretive about it. Yeah. I used to just say, oh, I'm on a bit of a health kick. And in the end, after nearly two years, I was like, right, I'd blow this for a joke. I'm coming out of the closet, honestly. <laughs> and So, so, I, why, so why did you stay in the closet? I stayed yeah. in the closet because I was so frightened of what people would think beyond my immediate family. My immediate family were delighted and nearly catatonic with relief 
that I'd finally told the truth and had, had, you know, chosen to make changes. But I was pretty frightened about speaking in the wider realm because what would people think? But what about what people would think made you anxious about that? Do you think, well, I would have thought, you know, my naive sort of kind of perspective on that would have been people go, wow, that's cool. Like, okay, that's cool. So that feels like support. Yeah, but I wonder why you thought they were going to think bad things or something. I thought they might think, oh, my God, you dirty, rotten, scumbag, alcoholic. (gasps) Yeah. Right. So you'd acknowledge it. Yeah, okay. And then they go, I told you. Yeah, right, okay. What will they say? What will the gossip be? And you know what? Most people were just amazing about it. And the more I blogged and the more I wrote, the more people popped up out of nowhere and said, Wow, Shan, that's that's really cool. Good on you. Where was your blog appearing? Where did they get that? Well, I'd created I'd created a Facebook page called Sober in the Country because one night I was sitting watching a stupid rerun of Sex in the City, which I turned off in disgust and thought, geez, I hate this stupid program. It's all just about women getting tanked and being promiscuous and shagging bad men. And I was like, oh, that's ironic. Um, and I thought, it's <laughs> self I thought, self, you need to write some stuff that's good and better than this trash. You need to write a script for a TV show. Right. And so I flipped sex in the city on its head and came up with Sober in the Country. That's how it came about. And so it was just a Facebook page. And then the response was really quite quick because, look, I mean, let's face it, I'm pretty funny, aren't I? I used to write funny anecdotes and I made, I guess, humorous serious stuff into a bit of a humorous, more palatable thing. And people were then stopping me in the street and saying, gee, Shan, I really enjoyed your post about such and such. And I'd say, oh, I just just don't know if anyone's even reading it. And they went, oh, we we just don't want to comment because people might think we've got a problem if we comment on your page. And I'm like, oh, really? Are you serious? I'm like, wow, this stigma. Wow. And were these people that you know had a drinking problem, or they no, just didn't? Just random. They just didn't. Yeah, okay. Mm. Could have been. Because I be going, why is that person making a comment? Why are they reading exactly. that one? They must be an alcoholic. Oh, yeah, Charlie. Okay. Did so you see stigma. Charlie Arnott made a comment on yeah, something? Do you have think a he must have a problem? Yeah, okay. So that is how fierce and horrendous this is stigma was. Mm. I say was because we're changing it. So. Totally. I then thought, oh well, I better start a private group so these people can come and chat freely. So what began as me trying to run a face-to-face recovery meeting took me online and then took us into a private support group so people could speak freely and bloody one thing led to another and next minute we're snowballing and this thing that started off as a bit of a maybe, you shoulda, coulda, woulda is getting a bit of momentum. Um, From all over Australia? Like, like yeah, yeah, not like, yeah. yeah. I guess yeah. Facebook and yeah. we're a real Because a friend of a friend would tell yeah. a friend and then yeah. they'd pop up. But then um, I started getting really fierce criticism from um, actually from AA. Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? That's interesting. This is not how we do this. This is not how we do that. To which I then promptly said, hang on a sec, you guys. I fully respect because there's actually some really, really, really um, clear boundaries in terms and conditions of being a member of AA. And I said, I'm actually not an AA member. I respect your boundaries. I respect your rules. So I'm no longer a member because I respect that. So I'm just speaking as a human who's chosen to recover out loud. That's all. I'm not dragging your name into anything. In fact, I actually recommend people come to you. So please chill. And they said, but what are you doing? You're doing this online. You don't do it like that. You do it face to face. And I said, well, actually, I tried to do things 
face-to-face for two years. It didn't work. So, again, please understand, I'm just trying to do something to help those who can't get help. And at the end of the day, rural people in isolation can't be anonymous so they can't go to meetings and even if there was one to get to, they won't go to it because they're flipping terrified of who will, will find out about Charlie's red ute at the meeting I at 8.30. I saw them walk into that right? And I still got critics and I still got flack. And then one day this great bloody dirty great thing called COVID-19 happened in the world, Charlie. Mm. And overnight everyone who had previously run a face-to-face meeting suddenly understood the reality of isolation and all of my critics vanished in a little poof of smoke or maybe a puff is a better word. A poof. (laughs) Sorry, a puff of smoke. Oh, my God. I better put it in the show notes, all our new new little things. A little poof. You know, it's interesting you you brought that up because Mm. I remember reading, I think I might have posted something about um, Sarah in the Country and Mm. I, I can't remember what it was and it was probably 12 months ago. And then I remember there was a comment on my on that post from someone, and it mm-hmm. said something like, um, "Oh, it mentioned AA." It says, "Oh, there's you know there's an organisation called AA," and, and I can't, oh, a smart comment, yeah, smart, smart one, like, yeah, almost saying all the time. Which is in, well, this is in light yeah, of what yeah, you yeah. what you just said. Yeah, the was interesting. Just, yeah. yeah, it was like. Where's that coming from? Yeah, Yeah. it really made me interesting because, like, this is a really important topic, and and like so many things that are really important, it can be really profound for people when it starts being put into a box and starts being controlled and starts being kind of, um, you know, owned (coughs) owned by you know an organisation, then it really takes away from. The, give you the benefit because if it's if it's then yeah. not available to people or there's there's rules and regulations which I understand organisations have to act within a certain charter and so on, but I was just found that comment fascinating yeah. that it was like oh hang, isn't this a really good thing like, why would someone be critical of something that's a really yeah, good thing that's clearly helping people they haven't read the memo they haven't read the brief well they got so they're sort of stuck on on their own yeah. thing yeah which is again everyone's journey and their own. Um, prerogative to, to do that, but mm. I, I don't know. I, I, I find human behaviour just perpetually fascinating, you know, mm. in, in you know, the good, the bad, the ugly and all of it. So, oh, look, I have seen every – I have seen and experienced everything in this last 10 years and that fierce criticism and that kickback. And ironically, the first thing I respond with now when people say, oh, you know, you can go to AA, and I say, hi, Joe Blow, thanks for your comment. Actually, a lot of the people whom we live to serve don't have that option. Yeah. We don't have meetings. We don't have face-to-face anything. So our charity exists to open up conversations around alcohol. And guess what? We actually have AA listed as a resource on our website along yeah. with a bunch of others. You're not competing. We're not competing. No. We are here to make sure people don't die because they don't know there's support out there. And quite often we send them to you guys for support if your brand of support resonates for them. And if it doesn't, we give them And if it options. even exists in a town like Narrabri yeah. or some yeah. rural sort well, of... Well, they can go it. online to AA. Yeah. The yeah. point is, right, we are not competing. We have no flipping interest in it whatsoever. There's no room for competition. Sober in the Country yeah. is here to drive awareness and mm. advocacy. That is what we do. And our peer support group that we have today is filled with people who are 
a mixed bag of lollies. Some of them are AA members, some of them go through a mob called Smart Recovery, some of them read bloody Russell Brand's sweary books. I don't <laughs> give a stuff who or what they follow. I just care that they know that in our peer group they are with a bunch of like-minded rural people who need anonymity yeah. online if that's what they have to have. And it's so beautiful because no one's competing. Mm. And we're all about collaboration. So, yeah, that, that kickback still happens, but less and less frequently, thank goodness. But isn't it interesting, as soon as COVID happened, it, it mostly dried up and everyone's like, oh, this is awkward. We were paying you out two days ago and now we're having an online meeting. We get it. Yeah. You know, our life is permanent ISO. Mm. That is rural Australia. Yeah. And yeah, it's almost is, like, yeah. That's this a is, if you haven't listened to it, on our website, My Australian of the Year speech, which is two minutes long, covers all of this. I should have just played that and saved you a bloody two hour podcast. No, mate. no. <laughs> that, I'm just adding to, the, adding to the resources that people can listen to and then find out about you. Yeah, and, and we speak about that. We say rural Australians are 150% more likely to experience harm from alcohol than their city counterparts. Did you know that? I didn't know that. 150% and only 17% of us will get help. So that... 170% of rural... 17. 17 sorry, 17% yeah, will get help. So what happens to the other... We go off and probably die of alcohol-related deaths that we don't speak about. See, now you're going to get a whole new level of energy from me because I do find talking about the past very hard going and um, I'm bored of the sound of my own voice when it comes to my own story, but what I'm hyper-energised about is what's coming. Tell us about that. Tell us how people Mm. can support, Mm. get involved, access um, your your resources, the support. Tell me how people can do that. Well, so, yes. And people who are looking to mm. get support from um, the resources because they want to um, uh, approach their their own situation differently now, as you did, and also for those who aren't necessarily needing those resources but want to support the the cause Mm. financially Mm. or any other way. So Give yourself a plug. This is really important. Plug it out, pluggy. So, yeah, Sober in the Country today is a nationally respected not-for-profit and our purpose is literally as simple as we are. We are here with our job to make sure every single person in the bush knows it's okay to say no to a beer. That's our tagline. It's okay to say no. It's such a silly, insipid, nothing tag, and yet it's so effective because what we're doing is we're not going at people, bashing them over the head and saying, you mustn't drink and you're bad if you do. What we're doing is we're going to the average Australian like Charlie Arnott and saying, we don't care if you can have one or two beers safely. What we care about is that you make sure your mate who can't knows it's okay to say no. And so it's an interesting thing. So I've learned after 10 years of being bashed silly and sideways by people who don't know our mission or our purpose is that you can never threaten anyone's God-given right to have a drink, but what you can do is appeal to their mateship and their camaraderie and their sense of Australian awesomeness, which is looking after a mate. So we have flipped everything on its head and as our language now through the charity, that's literally it. Our job is to make it okay to say no to a beer. So what we do, so Sober in the Country, that's what we do. We work through advocacy, awareness, education and peer support. And we go out there into the wild blue yonder and we cast a net. 
We make conversations palatable. We make them friendly. We have broken open the hardest conversation of all time in the hardest demographic of all time, which is grog in the bush. And we do it by not being confrontational, by not being prohibitionist wowsers, saying you must, you shall not, you will not, blah, 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 blah. We just say, let's be better mates, can we? So we cast that net. And in that net, of all these humans are inevitably going to be people in trouble. And those people in trouble will resonate with our language because it's user-friendly. And then we hope that they will come to our pages, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or whatever the hell it is, right? We've got stuff everywhere or the website. Then we hope that they will find the section that says, do you need help? Question mark. And in there we have resources we link in with organisations who've got the capacity to do what we can't, which could be a helpline, it could be a peer support group, which in our case is called the Bush Tribe. We have like a laser-focused peer support group called the Bush Tribe, which is country people helping country people. End of story. We're not there for our mates in the city because our mates in the city have got stuff we don't have out here. This is for isolated rural and regional and remote people who want to identify with other rural, regional and remote people, cutting back or quitting grog, however that looks for them. Bam, that's our bush tribe. But beyond that, we work with mobs who do telehealth detoxing or, as I said before, counselling or other programs, alternatives to AA. We recommend AA, we recommend others. We just gather as many like-minded humans as we can who've got the capacity and the will and the want to help people and we say, guys, you're not alone. You are not alone. So we are kind of like, sober in the country is kind of like the big group hug. And from there we say, if you're still struggling, you might need more help. You might need more support. You might need rehabilitation. And if you can't leave your farm or property, which 90 bloody percent of us can't, or your small town or whatever it is, or your business, maybe you can work with these guys who do it by telehealth. So we're just trying to consistently get information to people in need so that they're not in the 17% and above Mm. who can't and will not get help. We want to make sure no one dies. Have you got resources on there for people who um, have have friends, family members? Yes. And go, I think they need help or how can I help? Yes. Uh, Is there sort of some guidance here? So Because that's, that's, I'm sure. It's a very big, it's our second most frequently asked question, what do I do if someone I care for is struggling? Yeah. It's either you or it's someone you care about. So, yes, we do. We've got a friends and families section. Uh, we've got a, we, yeah, we've got really good links and connections through the website. And, again, they, we're not reinventing any wheels here, right? Sober in the Country is not here to reinvent invent perfectly good wheels that already exist. What we're doing is we're recalibrating the wheel for bush conditions. So I've taken my lived experience to crack open the conversation and use language that makes sense to bush people to say, yeah, g'day, fellas, you know what? If you you have one and you can't stop till you've had 100, you might need to have none. What does that look like for you? We get that. We just speak like country people (laughs) for country people. It's pretty bloody simple, right? Then when we catch them, we want them to get to the help that they need. That's all. So so I'm interested because you may have an angle on this, um, uh, the grog culture in the country versus the grog culture in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, is there <laughs> is there a difference? 
I mean, I, I guess in the city there's potentially more help for those who are in that situation yeah. and, and clearly there hasn't been in the country and you are creating that support mechanism. But in terms of is it a different culture, a different pressure, a different mm-hmm. um, exposure to to that? I mean, I, I, I kind of know from a country point of view the the pressures, the parties, the, mm. the drunk driving mm-hmm. and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because that's because what's your view on that? Because so, I guess a lot of our listeners, I'm thinking a lot of our listeners are not in the country. Yep. And so they may not kind of, not that one's better than the other or they're no, better or whatever. It's just, it's just, it's just different. So <clears throat> tell me about that. So as I often describe it to people, right, addiction is the same and it manifests the same. No matter where you live, you could be in Rome or you could be in Roma. Same same goes, big nose. Very similar towns. <laughs> very similar. <laughs> but it is the same, right? Someone struggling with addiction over here or there, ultimately those how that looks will be similar. Yeah. However, what's different is for country people, often our only source of social connection is the pub, is the pub in our small town mm. or it's the back of the ute at the end of the day in the paddock or it's the, um, the rec club on the big cattle station, right? In the city, when Charlie Arnott knocks off work, he can go to one of 50,000 bloody different things or places or points of relaxation. You might go to yoga in Bondi. You might go for a surf. You might go to the pub and drink for flipping 10 hours. Point is there's choice and there's options and there's things to do other than the pub. Different distractions. Different distractions. Whereas in the bush... You are kind of stuck with your small town, your small community, and generally speaking, a social fabric of grog. grog that's, that's kind of the glue, dare I the say, glue. the glue that keeps everyone social, engaged, like, oh, it's of course. It's how we meet and greet and do deals and keep connected in the bush, right? Mm. Our pubs are the heart of our country communities. And a young bloke from Young who I met the other day said it so beautifully. He said, geez, he said, I'd love to see it get back to a point where our pubs are public houses of gathering, where it's not about getting shit-faced and falling over every time. It's about just being with others because pubs are important for that and I couldn't agree more. So generally speaking, in a small rural community, your options are the pub, the pub or the pub or the back of the ute with a tinny, you know, we don't exactly have a plethora of options. And even when you think about whether it's picnic races, footy, whatever, it's all very booze-centric. Mm. And I know that that happens in the city, but if you are a conscious human in the city who's chosen not to drink, you are going to have lots of face-to-face recovery groups. And if you want to go to the theatre or you want to be a Bondi hipster or you want to go to the movies or to, to another club or another place or another school or another book club, you can switch it up and escape where you're at. Can't do that in the bush. You're stuck with what you're stuck with. Yeah. And it's <clears throat> really scary. I've seen this happen where friends of mine who have given up the grog proper knockabout Aussie country blokes lost their – I'll give you an example of a friend of mine, beautiful, brave fella. His wife and kids had to leave because of his addiction – and he came to us for help and we, we were able to help him, thank God. Um, and the first thing, when he left our house that day, I said, mate, when you leave and your mates get wind of what's happened, you're going to get phone calls from people saying, I'm coming to your house with a carton and it's going to begin like that and it's never going to relent. And it was the first thing that happened. Oh, mate, I heard about your missus. I'll be there with a carton. He had to say, no, you can't do that. Mm. 
Blokes in the bush not drinking are then cruelly socially ostracised because people don't know how to function in the bush unless there's a beer in front of them in a lot of cases. We are evolving. Sober in the country is changing that very quickly, which is an amazing thing. But sadly, there is still a perception that in order to fit in and be part of the group, it's got to happen over a schooner or the back of an esky and a ute or at the pub or whatever it might be. So we have this complex social structure in the rural space that is bound and governed by booze instead of friendship, even though we know it doesn't mean people are nasty and they don't care for each other, but that grog factory is always there. It's a focal point, isn't it? Yeah, big time, big Um, time. Which leads me to, I went to, as you know, because you know why I'm up here, went to a a funeral of a... um, Hang on, she's going to keep doing that. Get a hold of it. Timbo, can you call Melly, please, babe? Is Tim hanging upside down in that Probably. thing? <laughs> He's very patient. Nellie barks when she wants something, which is really bad dog behaviour, but we'll talk about that in another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I came up for a family member's funeral up to Narrabri today. Yes. And um, the pastor, whose name uh, escapes me right now, lovely fella who is Westman. the... Westman, Pete. Pete, that's it, Pete. Lovely, lovely friend of... Um, uh, Mr. Manchi. Mr. Manchi, Lionel Manchi, and spoke so eloquently um, about Lionel and their, their their relationship and revolving around golf and just life and lovely, lovely, lovely address he made. But one of the things that was, and, and funnily enough, what Peter said is what kind of was, or maybe not funnily enough, maybe there was just not, not coincidence mm-hmm. to what Peter said and the way Lionel sort of one of his, I guess, principles about making decisions. And and, and Peter said, <clears throat> you know, choice, not chance, determines destiny. And it was so poignant that, you know, the choices you have made, the choices you were making mm. prior to your recovery, your, mm. your transition, and the choices you made post, you know, have... Um, determined your destiny, you know, and what you've now created and the support you're giving and the 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 life that you now have and the life you are you are giving, you're giving back to so many different people because of your efforts. And I just thought it was a really interesting thing that I heard that this morning. We were having a chat, this whole choice not chance yeah. decides destiny. I thought it was so so fitting. And again, look, maybe that wasn't a coincidence that it was said today and we're having a chat. You know, it made me think of you straight away, just going, well, do the, the choice. Yeah, it was. It was lovely. Just the choices you've made. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it, <clears throat> this comes up in a few interviews, this whole thing about choice and um, Victor Frankl, <clears throat> his book, um, A Man's Search for Meaning. <clears throat> yeah. It's a wonderful book. And <clears throat> to summarise it in one line or two lines is basically that's one thing that no one can ever take away from us is our choice. Yep. And I guess we have to be in a, you know, we choose things in a, in a good or a bad headspace and, and, and so on. But, you know, it is one thing that undeniably we always have. Um, and sometimes we make bad, you know, bad choices and sometimes we make good choices, but it's always up to us, which always comes back to self-responsibility. And you know something? It's it's a really it's a really good point that you make. I didn't chose. I didn't chose. We're having a. Cr- we are. We are racking them up. <laughs> too late in the I day. I didn't chose. I didn't choose this. No. <laughs> it is good though. It keeps breaking up the intensity. <laughs> um, it's a good point. Like I did not choose to be assaulted by the wrong people. I did not choose what happened to me when I was an eighteen-year-old kid. 
by the same token, I had to make a choice down the track to either keep going and self-destruct and die or to choose an alternative. And I think it's so important that people battling addiction, I mean, I, I understand better than anyone the heart and soul of trauma in that, right? You may not have chosen a terrible thing that happened that led you ultimately down this horrific path, but there will come a point where you do have the choice to work your guts out, to be willing to work and change. That is a daily choice that can be made, but I believe it can only be made when there is information and education and an accessible conversation delivered with empathy and love and kindness instead of the revolting stigmas that surround addiction. And as I often say, Charlie, in in the bush, we literally glorify alcoholic drinking. We literally revere the girl who can scull a beer out of a boot and outdrink the next bloke. We literally laud it and applaud it and we love it. But when that person steps to the other side of the fence and says, I can't drink anymore, I'm addicted, we are shunned and we are shamed. It is so unbelievably twisted how that happens in the culture of the bush. And so that is what I strive day and night and day and night to affect change around is when our mates are choosing sobriety, we have to dig in and we have to say, that is awesome, mate. How can I help you? Not this old behavior of, oh, come on, mate, have just one. One won't hurt you. Actually, some of us, if we have one, we're going to die. It's not even funny and we don't know that because we don't talk about it. And when our mate says one won't hurt you, they don't even know what they're saying because they've never been told. They've never had that hurt themselves so they kind of don't get that. never, right? Or they're uncomfortable about Shanna saying no because if Shanna said no and realised she had addiction, what does it say about them? Well, if you've got the courage to say no and they don't, it kind of shines a light on them, doesn't it? It's uncomfortable. It's the mirror effect. Yeah. And so that is why we just keep ploughing through with compassion, with thoughtfulness, with care and with love. And I tell you what, Charlie, some of the most incredible things I've seen happen in this conversation and in this space are with bushfellas. And you know how we were speaking before about regenerative ag? Mm. Holy moly, I love regen humans. It's a new love affair. Let's talk about that. Can we? Yeah, no, totally. Oh, Regenerative ag. So like I said, it's a bit new to me because I grew up like, you know, (laughs) swimming in channels full of endosulfan. (laughs) Happy days. Um, Wasn't really. You'd have been free of uh, fleas and lice and and, uh, heliothus anyway. (laughs) Yes, yes, I did not have any heliothus. (laughs) I didn't understand, right? The reason I so love regenerative ag because I now understand the principles and I understand the intent is I believe that without regenerative people, how can we ever hope for regenerative ag? The two go hand in hand like peas and carrots. And I hear and see over and over and over again people in the broader spectrum speaking about regen, but then they won't have a focus on regenerative humans. you know. And I'm like, well, hang on a tick. And you and I both now, my, my beautiful mate Matthew Tonkin, yeah, I'm glad you brought him up. Little Maddie, I love him. Mm, and you know he's, he's going out with my bestie. How happy is that? Anyway, that's another story. Bestie since going out or bestie before? Bestie, no. Um, no, they is met it? through me. 
Get out of here. I know. It's lovely. She's the best. You'll meet her soon. I have met her. I met her um, a couple of years ago. Oh, Maddie came and did the biodynamic workshop down at Milton. Well, there you go. My best friend was delivered to me thanks to sorority. Anyway. Lovely. But I remember Maddie said that he was going down the whole regen ag path and one day, as he said in his own words, he had to give himself an uppercut because he was thinking about how I regenerate the soil, how do I regenerate the land, how do I Next minute he's like, well, you dickhead, you probably need to start by regenerating yourself. <laughs> and that's his words. Thank God he had that epiphany. Right? And that was Maddie's epiphany. And he thought, well, this is ridiculous. I'm talking about all of these things that need to change about my landscape, but my own landscape is cooked. And so get began Maddie's research, and that's how we actually met. He heard me on the radio and one thing led to another. Um so I'd love to just plug the Regen community, speaking of plugs, by saying they've been one of our biggest supporters. And when I've gone and spoken at conferences and at events and I share, because a lot of them, are, they're very open to what I'm talking about, much more so than certain stubborn corners of the <laughs> bush continent where I've spoken and I'm terrified I'm going to get bludgeoned to death before I leave. <laughs> <laughs> Region people are really open-minded. Don't you rock the boat there. Don't you bloody come here but and what, talk what, common do you, sense. Do you think that's because, I mean, I guess the people in the in the regenerative ag space are kind of, dare I say, open-minded and, and alt- not alternative. Oh, hang on. It's Sorry, bad. All good? It's all good. It's just telling me. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, that they are, they have an open mind and they're kind yeah. of willing to have those yeah. conversations and yeah. that's just kind of, you know, they've picked up alternative farming methods. Yeah. Yeah, they're because already they're, willing. They're, yeah, yeah. Yeah, half the yeah. battle's done. Mm. I spoke at an RCS conference recently in Toowoomba mm. and I would have to say without fail it's one of the most powerful presentations I've ever done, not because I've suddenly become more powerful as a presenter but because the energy and the want and the, and the reception was so open mm. and unbeknownst to me, four humans that we've supported were in that in that gathering that day and they all independently stood up in Q&A time to say, this chick, literally everything she's saying has changed my life and righty rah. And it was just like an Oprah Winfrey moment. It was like I'd been and planted people in the bloody audience to leap up and say amazing things about the charity and me. And I was like, oh, my God, you get a hug and you get a hug and everyone gets a Did hug. Did Oprah do that? <laughs> yeah. She Did just she? gives stuff away. Oh, yeah, yeah, you get a hug, she everyone gets a hug. Yeah, yeah, It yeah. was like that and there were tears. That must have been oh, a lovely moment for you. God, it was amazing. Yeah. And then, oh, anyway, it was like four or five of these heartachingly beautiful, honest moments from people mm. um, followed by then I sat down and I was at the very front of the, it was about 130 or 50, I don't know, whatever people, and I was in the front row and the fella that was emceeing said, and Shannon, he said, before we wrap up and I give you thanks, he said, I want to say that my daughter, and he choked up, he said, my daughter was up in the north, far northern territory when you spoke at one of their induction um, weeks and he said it had such a profound impact on her. So I want to say thanks as well because you changed her perception in this. Anyway, and I was like, oh, and I was like, I'm going to start crying again. And uh, he said, also, you need to stand up and have a look around you because everyone stood up for a standing ovation. Um, And off the back of that, oh, and I'd spoken about philanthropy and part of Regen Ag is the concept of philanthropic thinking and giving back. And I didn't know this. I didn't know that was part of what they, they speak of. 
And I then shared with that audience about our project, which is my massive focus at the moment Mm. and in the year ahead, which is called the Amplification Project, which is where I have basically... um, Oh, no, he's right. So the Amplification Project is... Because it's taken me so, 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 so many years of going first, going first, going first, breaking the ice, busting my choppers, just trying so hard to get this conversation off the ground, and it finally happened. And thanks to the Australian of the Year award last year. I know. Year. That was so well-deserved. Oh. And you went to Her Majesty's funeral. I did. I went to Her Majesty's funeral. That's amazing. But that, that whole thing, right, that tipped me over into the tipping point, which is I'd been looking for for a long time, which is... Tipping point of exposure and kind of notoriety, dare I use that word, it's not probably the right word, but... but well, the, the thing that all good charity founders should seek, which is to make themselves redundant. So what I've been wanting to do for a long time is get away from the front of the camera and the microphone and to flip it and tell the stories of others. But it has taken me eight nine years of just relentlessly going first until others started to join me and we're at that point. Praise be all the things. I tell you, I'm so grateful for that because I'll always be the founder and it'll always be my story that cracked it open for want of a better word. But as I've always said, there's nothing unique about me, nothing. The only unique thing about me is that I'm ugly enough or stupid enough or brave enough or foolish enough to just have kept going for so long until there was traction. That's what I guess is unique. But now others have joined me. And now, and oh my God, Charlie, I get bloody goosebumps all over my body when I talk about it. I'm now out there with a film crew travelling Australia, thanks to the grant of a philanthropic family, telling the stories of others. And we're doing vignettes, three to five minutes, maybe five to six minutes, whatever it is, stories of people cutting back or quitting grog in the bush because we need to amplify this, because we are now on a roll and this thing has got wings, this thing has got momentum and we have been so successful in cracking open the chat and making it okay to say no that it's got a life of its own now. And the next logical progression, like I say, thank God, is for me to not be in front of the camera. I'll direct it, I'll always be involved, but it doesn't need to be my story anymore because others are helping me and I could weep with relief because it's hard for me to go through this. You've been doing eight years of telling your story. And, again, I just have to say thank you for – because you know what I said to Maddie the other – some months ago, I said, oh, you know, I've been trying to track down Shan for so long and not because you were reluctant, just, you know, chips of the night. And um, and he said, oh, understandably, and he said, oh, you won't get much of a story out of her because she's kind of moved on. Um, <laughs> which, is, which is probably right, you know. Mm. Though. So, so in light of that, and knowing you and the story and, and whatever, thank you for um, going back there. Yeah, going back there. You're welcome, mate. And I wouldn't if I didn't want to see because I'm selective now, and I love you. And let's not forget that you supported me as well. Let's not forget that little small detail. Thank you, Arnett family. Pleasure. You know what? Mm. This charity has never had a cent of government support or help. We are probably doing more, I would say, for the bush in terms of sustainability and regenerative humans than any initiative I've seen driven from a government perspective because we're here, we're boots on the ground, we're rural people, we get it, we live it. 
And the only way we have been able, we, when I say we, it's our tiny team of me and a couple of humans, we get up and we show up and we do it through philanthropic support and donations. And thank you for your help, right? Because what people don't understand is that the relentlessness to do what I do and to drive what I drive and to grow this thing. And and I, with every single fibre, with every being in my body, I know that it is worth all of this and 10 times more. Like I know when this amplification project starts getting released, it is going to blow people's minds. And I hope to God that other philanthropic-minded people say, right, how can I help? Because we, God, we need help. Mm. We need about 10 staff. We need to grow this thing exponentially because the need in our bush communities is so massive And it's here that I would love to draw a parallel, if I may, to the fact that in the country, right, we're so ready to talk about mental health now. We'll talk about suicide. We'll talk about farm safety. We'll talk about depression. We'll talk Mm -hmm. about an ageing population. We will talk about everything that needs talking about in the bush. But we won't talk about the one thing that is a concurrent binding factor in all of the things that are problems, which is what, Charlie? Underlies that, yeah, the drinking. Grog. Yeah. Grog is at the heart Mm. and soul of almost every significant thing that is wrong in the bush, but we will not talk about it front on minus the fluff. Because it's the bit, isn't it, the bit that, yeah, whether it's um, financial stress, you know, relationship stress, uh, whatever those things are, you know, bad succession. Where's Timmy going? Makes me so nervous. I hope he's got the pup. Oh, sorry, yeah. he's reversing. He must. He would have scooped. No, up. he's no. a good dog dad. He's a good dog. Dad. <laughs> sorry, it, no, it, no, 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 no. I understand. I mean, it, 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 it's the bit that, that that everyone. It's the crutch, isn't it? In all those situations, is like I'll have a grog. I'll be right. I'll put it aside. I'll. It is. It's again. It's dare I say that it's not. It's not a good glue. It's the it's the it's the fibre which unfortunately is the commonality through all those things. So it's a, that's fa- that's fa- so yeah. It is mental health is like oh, everyone talk about mental health, which is really good. But like okay, but there's an underlying thing here. Like there wouldn't be maybe so much mental health if we addressed not just the the cause of the the angst or the yeah. you know the anxiety or the depression, but like what's what's the bit that's that's drawing out that depression and that anxiety like indefinitely. Like you tell me the last time, the last time a mate of yours who struggled with depression, did he drink too much? Always. 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 Did someone commit suicide? Sorry, sorry, I take that back. Did someone lose their life to suicide? We're not allowed to say commit suicide. Mm. That's another thing I've learned, which okay. is important. I validate that. Yeah. When someone loses their life to suicide in the bush, are they drinking? Always. Always. And there's and and that's the interesting thing. It's a telltale sign, isn't it? Oh God! But, but, always, you know, always. Yeah. It's staggeringly heartbreaking. But we won't <clears throat> talk about the bloody great big white elephant in the room because it's hard mm. and it's uncomfortable. And I get that. And that is why it is unbelievably critical that people like myself and Maddie and whoever else drive conversations like this from a lived experience point of view because we can. Yeah. And when we do that, it's less intimidating. And when we do it the right way, without judgment, without condemnation, without you mustn't drink or you're bad and evil, when we say, you know what, some of us actually can't, 
that's, like I said, that ridiculously bloody insipid hashtag that it's okay to say no, which I made up, I think, I don't know, I was, I was in a cafe board one day. <laughs> it's, it just took off. Yeah, but it says everything. Because it's so user-friendly. No one's threatened, yeah. you know? Yeah. Hold that thought for one second. Are you a chicken dog? I need to do a wee so urgently. we're going to wrap it up soon because we've been at it for two hours and 18 minutes no no you do no do that do that um can i just say that um this has been quite an unusual podcast because we have had interruptions that we were going to roll through um but i have to say this is one of the most um uh, not interesting is, is so not the word, compelling, fascinating conversations I've had in the history of the regenerative journey because of the content, because of the individual. Well, the pair, I have to say, Tim has a lot to do with the, you know, um, Shan's, um, you know, recovery, um, epiphany, and it's um, lovely to sit here and a real honour to be sitting here um, because, as I said, you know, Tonk said, I don't know if you're going to get a story out of it, and I was not nervous, but I just was always ready just to, you know, skip over the top of that. And I said to Shan before we started, um, is there anything that's out of bounds? And she said, well, not really, but, you know, maybe, you know, she wants to talk more about – she said she wanted to talk more about the future, um, which we have, which is great, and I just really appreciate that she has stepped way back in time Sorry. to talk about it. That's okay. We're going to wrap up now pretty soon anyway. Yes. We're going to have a little Q&A. Yes. Just a quick one because we've, we've, we've blown this Sorry, right out of the water. I we would. I no, 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 no. Skip no. the intro. No, 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 no. You know what? I was just saying in <laughs> where you were away that this is – I can say this very sincerely, that this is one of the most fascinating interviews I've done – for all the ones on the whole Regenerative Journey podcast because of your transparency, your the courage. You know, I, I just said to everyone that you were, I said, is anything out of bounds? And you said, well, you know, maybe not so much of the front end, maybe more the back end, but <laughs> you went there. And oh. knowing that you um, and, pri- and Tonks primed me some time ago, I really appreciate the fact that you've, um, you've gone there. And I'm honoured that you are... Um, uh, I guess, you know, limiting, not honour, that's the wrong thing. I, um, I really appreciate the fact that you've opened up in the way you have. And I know, given the reach we have and the support we get and our listenership, that this will make a massive impact on many, many, many lives, directly and indirectly, with people who, you know, may, this may prompt behaviour change or pick up the phone or look on a website. It's really, really um, important that we do. She's off again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bloody what happened? Was it, where's the dog? No, dog I gone? Just, I, what? I had them locked up and that's why Melly was barking. Sorry, everyone. That's so kind, Charlie, because you're dead right. And um, I... Uh, so thank you for yeah. for doing that. I, it's, oh, been a, look, it's been a big day. It's Friday. Big day. You were going to have a snooze before. And <laughs> this has been well, such mate, a lovely, lovely... you knackered yourself. And look... It, 
you know, honestly, if some of this stuff, and I do, if your listeners are still with us and they haven't gone and stuck their head in a blender by now because oh, all our dumb words, oh, hi, Biscuit, all of our interruptions and all of our it's dumb words and the classic. bloody dogs and then Tim. You're so and cute. Seriously, he's never home on time, so he came home early. No, it's great. Him. I'm so glad that we, we I got to meet him. Otherwise, I would have been um, sneaking off. Um, your dogs need to be love right now. Let's have a five Q&A. minute break Let's do it. Let's and then do a quick Q and A, and that's for our Patreon members. So if you want to, oh, yeah. if you want to um, uh, sign up, or if you want to hear um, uh, Shanna's answers to these questions, Ooh. jump on charlieannett.com.au, sign up to our Patreon page, and you will get the good stuff um, as a member, as well as a monthly webinar um, with uh, with one of our guests each month, and Patreon videos and other stuff. So um, for ten bucks a month. You can do it. Patreon, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten bucks a month. It's like two crappy coffees or one good coffee. Um, that's it. Shannon, thank you so much. Oh, the do- oh, <laughs> drink, drink that water. And um, let's have a little break. Yeah. And thanks again. Are we doing Q and A? We're going to do it. We're doing it. We're doing it now. Thank you, Biscuit. Everyone. <laughs> And next week on The Regenerative Journey, I chat with Murray Richardson of Highland Beef and Stuart Austin for the first of our Highland Beef in-between episodes rolling out next week. The topic of conversation is technology, uh, digital and mechanical and all sorts of technology, which is becoming very, not confusing, but there's a lot of a very broad sort of breadth of types of technology being introduced um, and developed in the um, agricultural industry. And we, we chat with Stuart Austin about his thoughts on all that, uh, what he uses, what he doesn't use, and uh, a general chit-chat about, uh, yeah, technology in the rural industry next week on The Regenerative Journey. This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.